contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> Put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will it. We had a real chance with this. So, Minister, we've run every viable model through the computer and it looks like there just are no easy solutions to this recession. Yeah, raising VAT, cutting VAT, raising interest rates. Raising interest rates and VAT, lowering income tax and raising VAT. None of it seems to really help. Have you tried kill all the poor? <laughs> Sir, with respect, you know, we've had this conversation before. I'm just saying, have you tried it? No, of course we haven't tried it. We're not going to try it. I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying run it through the computer, see if it would work. Whether it would work it is not the issue. So you think it might work? That's pretty right-wing. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it'll work. I think it might. It, it wouldn't. <laughs> Why not? Well, because they do all the, you know, they, they clean all the we need them for all the things that we don't fancy. Aren't you thinking of immigrants? Look, there's an easy solution to this, guys. Just run it to the computer and check. Well, no. I can't believe you haven't done it drunk as a joke. What? Well, just do it quickly. I'm not going to do it. Why not? Because it's offensive and evil. I don't see the objection. The computer's not going to be offended. Just run it through. The computer will say, no, it wouldn't help to kill all the poor, and I'll stop going on about it. See? Satisfied? Have you tried raise VAT and kill all the poor? <laughs> Look, we're just fact-finding. Why do you so want to kill all the poor, sir? I don't want to do anything of the sort, but I think it's important to know if it would help. Of course it wouldn't help, but the computer says it wouldn't help, so we're not doing it. That's why we're not doing it. What? That's the only reason why we're not doing it. Bloody hell, now I'm offended. <laughs> I'm sorry? I shouldn't have asked you to run that through. It turns out if it had come out positive, you'd have started work by now. Um, here I am, blue sky thinking amongst friends, and I didn't realise that it's only cold-hearted pragmatism that's keeping you from pumping gas into little. I'm confused, sir. Look, just because a computer says that killing all the poor will help the economy doesn't mean I'm going to do it. It's morally wrong, Anne. That's why we can run it through the computer, because we know whatever it says, we're not going to do it. That's the page I'm on, Anne. Are you going to burn the book? No. We were pretty sure that child brothels would help with arts funding. But does that mean we did it? No. Never got beyond a pilot scheme in Yeovil. You're quite right, sir. I'm sorry if I in any way cast aspersions on your commitment to the sanctity of all human life. It's, it's all right, guys. I think it's pretty clear what we need to do. Shave half a percent off interest rates, shore up the pound, keep VAT steady for now, and round up all the dwarves. <laughs> yes, Minister. For 91 episodes... 
Have you tried Behind the Schemes? It is April 4th. Oh my god. It's the 404 day for 2022, and I am Booberry Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from way over here, <coughs> here on the bereft coast where, yeah, it's 442022 at 803. My name is Lavish. It's uh, It's been kind of a weird day, weird, weird week, weird past month. It's been a weird day, weird week, a weird month. This whole month has been weird, too, for me and for everybody. I just feel like everybody is, like, just freewheeling this month. I had a, unironically, I had a conversation, a brief one with somebody earlier today, and uh, they straight up asked, do you think the world's ending? And I was like, you know? <laughs> I want to believe. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's it's hard to it's hard to not be a downer. Everybody wants to be positive. Everybody wants to you know do whatever they're doing. But yeah, things aren't looking very good. Um, things aren't looking very good at all. Uh, it's it sounds like they're going to push for sure another fucking virus down the pipeline soon. Seems like they've already brewed it up over in China and it's making way through Europe. And um, they're going to drop a new virus on us. And then of course. Uh, the effects of inflation have only just begun. There's so many wonderful things going on in the world. And then, of course, uh, I guess countries just make war now for news headlines and to distract us instead of for anything actually substantial or for any reason that the general public actually understands. Uh, we don't need that anymore. Yeah. We just need the news to tell us, hey, you're not with us. You're against us. I'll uh I'll just be up front and say I get up, I put my pants one or I put my pants on one leg at a time, I look myself in the mirror and ask, Are you winning, son? Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a strange thing. Yes. Strange time. No yeah, but on top of that, I think personally, I think everybody just had a rough month, I think. Yeah. It's for one, uh for one reason or another. Twenty twenty two is is coming out and Laying haymakers left and right. It's, uh, I think, I don't know. I was hoping spring would kind of, uh, sort of shake off that winter dust. Everything's been cold and frigid and, you know, just kind of locked up and so on and so forth. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe by, uh, the thrust of, of real spring. I mean, we just had snow again yesterday. <laughs> it got cold again. It got warm and then it got cold. Yeah. But maybe when it uh, settles out, it'll be I nice. Hope so. It'll be a real good time. I keep thinking this summer is going to be this big party, and everybody's going to go out and have a great time because they've been locked down and they've been beat up. And but there's just this direness. There's like this desperation in the air. That's not good. Are we starting off on a bright note or what? Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's true <laughs> though. It's it's been bizarre. Um, and everyone's overworked. I think. I think at the at the most basic level, anyone who's working is overworked. Yeah, that's a an interesting point. I could agree. Yeah, we should. Uh, we have a good show for tonight, where we aren't working. We're going to talk about getting behind the schemes because that's what we do here on Behind the Schemes. And with all the shady shit that's going on all over the world, uh, we like to uh, take a little critical look at stuff, uh, even if it's stuff that. Maybe considered 
kind of woo-woo or spooky or science fiction or out of the norm or whatever. Conspiracy. I think uh, Dave Jones wrapped it up for us. Pulp, punk, sciency, conspiracy, hypothesizing. That's us. What? That's crazy! That's a nice little neat little package we got it all put in there for. (laughs) I like that a lot. Did you tell him to do that, or did he come up with that on himself? Uh, You know, there was a boost involved. There was a boost involved. (laughs) Very well, very well. Uh, Nice. I love it. Yes. I want to talk about tonight's tarot card before we get into boost proper. Uh, If you're looking at our show notes, which is zososcorner.substack.com, we've got the tarot card that we drew for tonight posted at the top. And if you notice, it is not the line strider deck, which we typically use. Mm -hmm. This is a new deck that I picked up this previous Saturday. uh, And it's actually a local mini, uh, mini ocalypse author. He created this tarot deck. It's called the sigil arcanum. And as you can tell, it's a, it's kind of got like a, a glossy ink on f- flat, matte, black cardstock. Mm. It's very sexy. It's a very sexy card. I, uh, I seen him go on Kickstarter way long ago, but I thought I'd missed my chance. And lo and behold, I, and this is the first time that I was able to go into this metaphysical shop. Because, I mean, ever since 2020, they blocked off the whole five, six of the store. Like, you would walk in, and they'd set the counter up so that it blocked you from walking into the store hmm. for uh, for COVID protection measures. <laughs> Which sucks, because, uh-huh. like, they had this, you know, it was hmm. this one little shop. In 2019, they bought the building next to it, and they were going to open up and expand. And then 2020 rolled around, and boom. New store, open, ready to go. Can't go in there. Deadliest well, virus in human history. They should have been able to tell that from the cards. Yes. And tonight's card from this new deck, the Sigil Arcanum, it is the uh, High Priestess, card number two. High Priestess, yep. A very, very powerful card indeed. This card has already been... I don't know, this deck is kind of squirrely. It it keeps dropping... or The cards keep fumbling out of my hands. Uh, This particular card was one of those. It just popped right out of the deck. No, that's always fun. That's a that's a nice fun uh, contingency with drawing tarot is when things jump out from the deck at you. But with this, it sounds like it just has a really nice glossy matte um, texture. That's kind of hard to get a grip on. Mm-hmm. And if you'll notice, there's a uh, this deck. It combines a lot of the sort of themes that you would see inside of the Rider Waite, but it also draws influence from the Thoth Tarot because there's a couple of major Arcana cards that have been swapped around like Lust and <clears throat> Lust and Strength. Um, those cards are uh, it's number 8, which is Strength in the Rider Waite, and then in the Thoth deck uh, Strength moves to slot 11 and becomes Lust. And the Judgment card takes over the eighth position. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that has something to do numerologically. They had to get, get that according to whatever the, uh, I guess it, you'd call it ancient Egyptian uh, mythos or lore. Right. Or as their numerology is concerned. And I like this, this card. I like the style of this card. You showed it to me. 
It's very beautiful, very simplistic. Uh, it has a lot of grays and silvers. And this card in particular, the High Priestess, uh, is, a, is a very powerful card. All these, all these cards have very basic uh, shapes and symbols on them, not pictures like it would be in the classical tarot decks where you can virtually see a story being told on every single card if you really read into it. But with mm-hmm. this, it's a little tougher. You have to kind of really, it's almost like a Rorschach test. You really got to look into it and see what these symbols are. Or you have to know what they're trying to explain beforehand. And it's it's combining a couple of different uh, symbolic sim symbolical, um, oh god, what would the word be? Uh, so they they the the Geometry. artist the artist included symbols for the planets. Which if you look at this card, the hair the high priestess, excuse me, you can obviously see the moon is up there. But also in this deck is. Uh, the symbology of Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, the Sun, Venus, Mercury, etc. Yeah, a- astrologically, it all correlates, and it does in the regular decks, but but it's much more apparent with this one. Yeah, the uh, the symbols are actually included in the art. It's the same with the zodiac. All twelve zodiac signs show up: the element signs and alchemical signs, <clears throat> mm-hmm. which is pretty fun. Uh, We've talked about in the past how the ancients like to separate things into units of twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and three ties into that because if you can make everything fit in a perfect circle, then that's ideal. So that's why they would try and make the, the, the year 360 days. And then they would consider those extra four or five days, bad luck. <laughs> uh, so straight from the book that it was included with this deck, uh, number two, the moon or high priestess, it's calculating wise, nimble and persuasive. Uh, and persuasive is the high priestess, disciplined in her craft and knowledgeable of many others. She waits below the earth while the winter turns autumn into spring, bringing the world's life down below to be reborn again. Hmm. Yeah, high priestess. Yeah, it looks like the, the high priestess is coming through the gates with the two solid black bars left and right of her on this card. Yeah, she's the mediator. She's um, she's the mediator between the two worlds. She's the the gatekeeper between the two pillars. She's uh, she's Chiron, the boatman. Yeah, she's kind of working under that light of the illusion, that moon, this, the unconscious light. The the feminine energy with sacred geometry is oftentimes represented as the circle or as as um, curved. Curved shapes, and then the masculine is usually defined by sharper shapes. So, right, the, the classical one being women are generally a circle, and men are, are square. And with the high priestess card, you it's all round shapes. You have the moon, you have this sort of circular staff in the middle, and then you have a, like a spiral. It looks like a Gaelic spiral at the bottom. Yeah, and this, all of that is conducive of feminine energy. And this flower and bloom. And a flower and bloom, yeah, exactly. And yeah, there's a, you know, there are other ways that it's feminine if you look at it. Heyo, respect. <laughs> um, so yeah, the high priestess, very very powerful card indeed. Usually represents things like um, illusion or unconscious energy or power or spirituality. Uh, it can also mean um, 
like leaving or arriving at uh, something from another plane or another circumstance. Maybe you're, you're leaving a certain emotional state. Maybe you're leaving um, a depression and moving into something else. Mm-hmm. It can it can sometimes represent that, or or the energies that go into that sort of a transformation. Hey, maybe this card is uh, perfectly timed, just based off of the conversation we were literally having right before we were talking about the tarot card with the uh, the winter dust getting shaken off. Um, I want to hit you with a couple of key words from Labyrinthos, if that's okay. Uh, upright meaning or upright keywords, unconscious intuition, mystery, spirituality, higher power, and inner voice. Yes. Inner voice. Yeah. It's about, and it's the same thing with the moon. It's, it's all about these energies that we can't quite explain, but are definitely there. Um, as opposed to a masculine energy, which is about, you know, making tangible out of your willpower, making tangible results. Right. The, uh, some other archetypes that the high priestess would be represented in would be a personify. Oh my God. That's not right. Persephone. Persephone, Persephone, (laughs) Artemis, Isis. Isis, Yeah. Yeah. Persephone. Good old Perseph, who was the wife of Hades, I believe. Ooh, I like this. She is the third, she is the third pillar, the path between. Yeah. Ooh. And they always reference these pillars, which is a huge, huge symbol in Freemasonry as well. The two pillars of Solomon's Temple, Jaquin and Boaz, which we've talked about many a time. And um, her, the high priestess's identity is, is very much tied into those pillars from the perspective of the original deck, and the original graphic. Yeah, she's the third pillar. As a, yeah, she's the gatekeeper. Nice. Very cool. If you would like to see that card, like we said, Z-O-S-O-S uh, corner.substack.com You can head over there. You could technically, in theory, sign up for our newsletter. All of our show notes would uh, appear in your inbox week to week. Mm-hmm. If you were into such things like that. And the show notes look pretty, pretty, pretty good. They are... This is a thick stack for today. There's a lot of photos going down in here. There's a lot of links... There's a lot of shit to check out. Do not miss these, folks. Do not miss this. Mm-hmm. If, uh... What's the other... Oh, we do this show every uh, every Monday night, live after Hog Story on BadRadio.Live and the No Agenda stream, courtesy of Sir Bimrose. You can check us out at 730, uh, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. We do some cool and legal shit. Yeah. We just uh, checking out the notes. Are my notes in here? Yes. They're down below the uh painter story pictures. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Yep. It was just the the like It's so small. I mean the the actual notes that I have tonight are <clears throat> the written out portion because a lot of it is a lot of what I, uh, anyway, I'll get into it later. Yeah, so but yeah, the notes are gorgeous though. And and as far as you are concerned, you have you have material probably left over from last week because you didn't get to some stuff, and then some stuff for this week as well. Yes, this is uh, this is all very true. Um, this is a uh, new live lit son of a bitch. We are broadcasting on CurioCaster as we speak. 
If you want to get in on some hot, sexy, steaming podcasting 2.0 action, go get yourself a new app over at nudepodcastapps.com. Treat yourself. Yes. Treat yourself. There's all kinds of good ones out there. Fountain, Curiocaster. I, I swear, I, I see I see. there's some people hanging out on the Google Play and the Amazon and the Apple. Folks, you're missing like half of the show at this point. We got it's true. so many images that flash by as the chapters change from image to image. Chapters, we should explain for anyone who doesn't know, we'll divvy up all this episode into chapters. So if you hear anything and, you, and you're interested in it, you want to go back. And you want to be like, hey, what did Booberry say about uh, little men who live in bananas? And then you, there's a chapter, and it's called The Little Banana Men. And you can go right there, and it'll have the image of the little banana men. And that it'll be beautifully artistically rendered, and, and you can do it. Or if you just listen to the show, you can see the graphics for each chapter go by as you listen. So it's very, very cool. It's, it's the future, really. But it's not the future. It's right now. And from the past, right on cue, this is a boostable streaming sats production, meaning you can send micropayments of Bitcoin on the Lightning Network in real time, whether you're listening live or you're listening after the episode is posted. What you just heard is a boost. It comes in from NetNed using the Fountain app for 11.11. And he just said... Son of a biscuit eater. Son of a biscuit eater. And what I have to say to NetNet is, you son of a biscuit-eating bulldog. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of fouls, false and, and terrible language being thrown around here. I'm going to put an end to it. No more of this vulgarity, you fucking assholes. And from a week ago, when we were doing our post-production work on Monday night, we had a boost come in from Servo using the Boost CLI for a thousand sets. Oh yeah, Servo. We appreciate that. Wow. Thank you, Servo. Oh wow. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow, cool. <laughs> Net Ned Servo. Yes, we appreciate it, y'all. Like we said, nude N U D E podcast apps.com. Go have yourself It's not a, a porn site. It is definitely not a porn site, but you will definitely be getting your rocks off. Boost me, bitch. This is a theater show. You don't like the way you look. I guarantee it. That's what I always say. We're in the entertainment industry with this podcast. Theater of the mind, yeah. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. Put on your 3D glasses now. And this is where knowledge comes to die. That or live. <laughs> I pulled a lot of Nick the Rat ISOs. I realized I didn't have any. Because, wow. I don't know what I was it's, doing. Uh, wow. I, no. <clears throat> I'm working on a whole uh, clearing the throat board. Excuse me. You have to get a whole board just for the clearing of the throat. Yeah. Uh, 
But if you would like to help support and produce this show in the easiest way possible, because this is a value for value production, you can pull out your cell phone, you can pull up your phone app, and Lavish, what number do they got to call? 612-263-7999. That's 612-263-7999. Yes, and we have, uh, we do have a bunch in the can from last week that sadly we were not able to get to uh, uh, during the live show. During the live show, post no agenda last week. Uh, yes. full, full disclosure: um, our cat ended up having to go to the vet clinic right at the beginning of the show, and. Probably right there around the Marilyn Manson, or excuse me, the uh, Marilyn, oh my god, Charles Manson clips, Jesus. <laughs> uh, I got the got the text that things weren't going to turn out good, so I had to get on my way, but I appreciate everybody for understanding, and uh, we still got all these uh, voicemails here, so we'll do the first one. Mm-hmm. spooky <laughs> that was that was spooky caller that was incredibly incredibly spooky i feel like an entire town just up and vanished yes uh, in reference to a discussion we were having last week about the mysterious vanishing of the roanoke colony roanoke colony yeah yeah we were talking about that i re-upped on that info that's spooky. And I got associated with that little territory that's off the coast of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Or not in Virginia, North uh, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, the whole like, uh, Outer Banks, as they're known. Yeah, the Outer Banks. I was interested in that. I, I have a fascination with like uh, how they settled this country and where they went first. Mm-hmm. And then where their big cities now and why why those cities were important then and why they're not now. And, uh, that all fascinates me. I would like to take a momentary pause here and say just, wow, Servo. He was the last booster to come through. He utilized the Boost CLI. And this crazy mofo just sent us 12,323 sets saying, yes, it is me. Oh, he says, yes, it me. Oh, yes, it me. Yes, it me. <laughs> got We got to clarify. It's a big boost. I want to read it exactly as it's written. Yes, it me. At one, two, three, two, three sats. Thank you so much, Servo. And uh, Servo. Who is, as everyone knows, he is the reigning Pope of the Green Room. <laughs> no doubt. And uh, for my arrogance and butchering your message, I will. Oh, God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hand me that. Okay. okay, now we can do it. Ow. There you go. Ow. Yeah, you like that? 
Ow. To the Pope? To the Pope, you little bit, you fucking, the Pope? Ah. Ah. Alright, alright, alright. Alright, one more. Alright, okay, okay, that's it. Yes. Gonna give Servo 420 Karma in the chat. Yes, 420 we- Karma in the chat. Hell yeah. We appreciate it. And we'll continue on with another voicemail. Behind the squeams. Oh my. <laughs> Behind the squeams. <laughs> Behind the squeams. I like the, just like the tail end of it. There's something about it. It's just like, ah. <laughs> we should close the show with that. Uh, duly noted. I will do my damnedest to make that happen. That'll be the, that'll be the closing ISO. Ooh, classic oh, they will screen. us. Oh, they will ah. us. Finally. Thank God. Ouch. <laughs> Finally. Classic. I'm so glad that they will own us. It's so great. Classic Foley art. Can you? Can I hear that one more time? Yes. Uh, so many memories. <laughs> All these great films I've seen. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so we'll do. Uh, we'll do one more here, and then we'll get into some rolling of the die. Ooh. Oh, they deemed us too. That was a we little. We got Wilhelmed and deemed. Is that. You'll have to... I'm not familiar with this one, I, I guess. Oh, you don't remember uh, Dean? Dean, what was his name? Uh... Dean Martin? No, he was a politician. He was a senator. <gasps> oh, that guy. And uh... he did this scream and it, and it ruined his whole career. Oh. Howard I... Dean. Howard Dean. Thank Interesting. you, Chad. Yes. Very... This is. Before Trump, if back when you made gaffes, it actually meant something. And if you would you would gaff, it meant oh you you did something silly. You can't be president now. Now it's like if you aren't half brain dead, you can't be president. So, hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ, our fucking president is, does nothing but gaff. That guy hasn't made a complete coherent sentence since like two thousand eight. I let's try this one. I've not heard this before. Ooh, ouch! Yeah, that's yeah. Uh... That that was like the beginning of the internet too. You know, not the beginning of the internet, but that was a, a very pivotal point when that's like those are like the you're the man now dog days. And the new grounds days and the e bombs world days, where like the OG memes. <laughs> Please clap. And that motherfucker was was very much in the cutting edge of of web memedom. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't become a president, but he did become a, a an immortal on the internet. Oh, you know what? I uh, I was prepared. I was prepared for a meme I said today. This is like level five memeing. I'm I'm a level two meme wizard. 
Is that that goddamn Ethan Klein? No. What? Oh. No. It's been uh, Midnight Mike. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to believe. All white people sound the same to me. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we still got plenty of time for your screams, your dreams, your creams. 612-263-7999. Mm-hmm. Fill up that inbox for me. Fill it up. Is there so? A, what? What you got? I was just thinking. You so you've got a lot of stuff that you probably brought tonight. I can tell from the notes you've got a lot of stuff. You usually bring every show. You bring enough stuff for like two hours, and then I know that you've got last week's sh- stuff too. So I would like to just give you the option, <laughs> just just to get a scope on how what how much you're trying to cover tonight, so that I can. That I can adjust whatever I'm bringing tonight. It's uh, the the reason that there's so many articles uh, for the first story, or excuse me, the second story that's in there. A lot of these were articles sent to me by Spaz as part of a whole package for this one particular story. Uh, we're definitely not going to be hitting everything, but since he took the time to collect all of that, I definitely wanted to at least highlight some of the sections out of there. Um, sure. But I just mean overall, given what you had last week, plus what you have this week, do you think you'll need extra time? Mm, sure. Or do you think you can compress it into a normal amount of time? Well, let's... And, uh, and let, me have my, let me have my thing, is what I'm asking. Why don't... Uh, we'll roll the die. Uh, r- highest roller gets to go first. Okay. Uh, D20. And right. if I go first, then I will blast and blast and blast away. Well, don't blast. I just, <laughs> just you know, it, you just, I don't know, just <laughs> do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> Are you yeah. ready? All right, here we go. Speaking of clown show... All right, what'd you got? I did pretty good. I got a 15. Oh, you beat me. I got a 14. Oh, close, By but one. no dice. Oh, don't die. Oh, no. The first clip that I have for you tonight, I went and uh, I don't know why I keep doing this, but apparently I cannot get enough. I went and I watched another Netflix horror movie. I watched okay. a movie called There's Someone Inside of Your House. I took the time to write out a one paragraph descriptor slash review of this. Might as well take the time to read it. Womp womp. Netflix misses the mark again with this book turned crap. Quote, I'm going to print your face and kill you for your hypocrisy. Weird victims. No one is likable. The sulkin incel made for TV keeps getting the blame for these murders, but what a twist. It's the rich, blonde hair, blue-eyed stoner kid whose who's daddy is rich, owning and buying all the land in the county. Daddy wants private security, and also holds a number 10th largest collection of Nazi regalia or some shit, which the son has turned into an extensive bong collection. I do not joke there. There's this whole scene where this kid hosts a party, 
And he shows all these people that his dad is this avid collector of Nazi shit, and he's turned every piece into a fucking bong. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a kid that's addicted to fentanyl that the the masked murderer goes after, and it's like, what's I? His issues is he's pissed off at everybody for being a hypocrite, so he's going around and he is putting on public display what people are doing in their free time and what they're trying to hide. Now, the only reason that I brought this particular movie is because there was a scene this this uh this girl is the second victim of the movie she is the rich preppy class president the resident mean girl she's a little bit of a bitch but it turns out that she's got an even darker secret this uh this scene takes place at a church where they're uh holding a service for the first victim in the movie and this is what transpires seriously stop it i know you're not sick what are you talking about because i was just talking to you here you were right here some races have higher iqs than other races it's basic science look it up marcus i'll I'll call you back That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This pretty girl holds a dark secret of being a podcaster. And not only is she a podcaster, but she started a podcast called Whitewash. And the most recent episode was Your Daily Ethnic Cleanse. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Just like all of our friends. <laughs> all of our friends have this podcast, you know. Yeah. I just did it those one time as a goof. <laughs> These alt-right people. Oh, man. Yeah. This so, is a great uh, projection of like what um, people in Hollywood think podcasters are. I was a little disappointed because it's the same dude that did The Conjuring, and there was one other one that escapes me at the moment. But, uh, yeah. But this is a Netflix show. I I know. And if you remember back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, what kickstarted that whole movie off is a bunch of white liberal kids show up into town. They try and kick this old woman out of her house where they did not have the deed to her property, which they said that they did. And this was all started because that house had a Confederate flag hanging out the front of it. Mm-hmm. 
If anything, this is like a weird, I don't know. This is like the opposite. It's kind of a projection. It's kind of because, well, absolutely. It's a projection. These people that they're talking about, there's just so few of them in the world. There are people in the world who are whatever extreme, I don't know, racist or whatever you'd call it or, or whatever these alt-right people, the image that, that the Hollywood has of alt-right people. There are a couple of them out there. But the vast majority of them aren't. And they and they make it seem like they all are like this and that this is the norm and that this is the standard. Um, and it's a complete hypocrisy in itself because they are the ones who are actually the majority who have all of this platform. They're the ones who are who are putting up the wrong image and who are spreading this really negative and and they're advocating for violence against these people in a way. This is this is a mainstream Netflix thing that's advocating for the murder of somebody because they may be, you know, they may say that races don't have the same intellect or whatever. I don't know. It's it's, it's I, it, for people it, who who claim to like be fighting against bigotry and racism and and violence, they are extremely narrow-minded and extremely violent themselves. And a little bigoted. And and very this whole thing is just comes from a complete inability to understand. Well, here's the other he, side. And okay, so now that you've heard that clip and we've explained what the killer's motivations are, it's that these people are hiding hypocrisies. Why does someone that's addicted to fentanyl pills they call it fentanyl in this fucking movie? Why does the killer target and eventually? murder this man for being addicted to an opioid i don't understand <laughs> and again netflix it doesn't matter who the showrunner is or who the even who the writer is to a large degree netflix runs this netflix only greenlights i mean there used to be a time where they greenlit everything but now everything that goes through them especially everything that makes it to the top that they push to the top Mm-hmm. It, it's all it all has an agenda it all has an agenda every single fucking thing you watch on netflix has an agenda so Even the cooking shows it's like this government conspiracy of some sort or just and then we've talked about the netflix guy and his ties to sigmund freud and his ties to the to federal government and all yeah. these fucking guys i mean they're in they're in tight and i wonder if obama is still a producer for him yeah definitely yeah. Obama and, and Michelle Obama, they they get into the Amazon, the Spotify, the Netflix. They they get paid out by all those major platforms. I mean, Spotify pumps this Obama Bruce Springsteen thing all the time, and then Michelle Obama has her own podcast. You know they get paid to do that. Yeah. Big money. They get Joe Rogan money to do that. But nobody talks about it. Like we should we should start a show with Obama. I think it would be really interesting. Well, we'll write him a letter. Yeah. We'll go <laughs> visit him in Hawaii. We'll have our people talk to his people. We'll make it a thing. I mean it, though, man. Like, every, like this, I watched this cooking show on Netflix. I talked about it before. And in the first episode, they're talking about eating bugs. Mm. And the people who made the dish with the bugs in it ended up winning the first round. And everybody applauded them. And it was all about this, like, they just had to push the environmental thing from the very first episode right away. And every other thing, you watch a glass blowing show on Netflix and they have an entire episode about climate change 
You need to you need to make a, a a vase based on fucking climate change. Every single thing. Is this a is carbon neutral vase? Yeah, it's a that's a real thing. I'm not making that up on what is it, blown away or whatever. I'm not trying to promote shows, Netflix shows or anything, but just everything. Anyway, please continue. Well, surely you're on the edge of the seat, just shivering with anticipation, wanting to know what happens to this poor, uh, poor girl, right? Surely. Well, yeah, I've got, I've got that clip. wearing a mask of my face and he's forcing me to record offensive hate speech and I and it it it's it gets like this sort of like weird phallic nature to it because the the masked murderer stuck the knife through the confessional and then pushed her head through to the other side and she uh ends up like deep throating it's it's all very like it can't it looks like she deep throats this blade, and it's like, well, come on, Netflix. You're going the wrong direction. What? Put it up her butt? <laughs> hey, baby. You don't happen to be the leader of the free country of uh, Libya. <laughs> oh, my God. My little brother would do that to his friends in, like, middle school. They would kick each other in the ass. They would, or they would, uh, they would, they would knee each other in the ass, and they go, "Ha ha! I Gaddafi'd you!" Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, that's uh, that's very, very raunchy. Yeah, yeah. Back when the Arab Spring was around, you know, those kids in school were all over it. <laughs> Gross. Um. So, final verdict. I know that I had favorable things to say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. Sadly for this one, it just didn't cut it. Uh, for record-keeping needs, how do you spell Gaddafi? Uh, I think it was G-A-D-D-A-F-I. Right. Maybe an H is in there somewhere. All right, that's Where close that? enough. My next story for tonight was uh, sent to me, like I'd stated earlier in the beginning of the show, sent to me via Spaz. He spent, or he sent uh, damn near everything, uh, article-wise, that is listed in the show notes. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roll straight to this first clip to set us up. A long list of prolific songwriters have recently made headlines for cashing in on their publishing catalogs. From Stevie Nicks to Shakira to Calvin Harris, each creative has made multi-million dollar deals off their songwriting credits. In a time where artists, producers, and songwriters are usually drawing attention to music rights and the importance of owning song catalogs, why are so many selling them off? And what does it mean for the current state of the music industry? This is Billboard Explains Selling Publishing Catalogs. A catalog is a collection of songs owned by a songwriter, Bob Dylan, 
who has a collection of more than 600 songs, recently sold his music publishing catalog to Universal Music Publishing Group. It's suspected to be the biggest acquisition ever of a single songwriter's publishing rights, with an estimated sale between $375 and $400 million. There are a number of reasons why these sales are being made, depending on the circumstances. Some of the biggest include lowered interest rates, high cash-out potential, tax benefits, estate planning, and the uncertainty caused by the pandemic. The number one factor you know no matter what anybody says is the is the financial security right now with companies playing uh, paying a 20x on their income streams you know there's uncertainty we don't know if the market's going to bear that in the next 12 to 24 months do you know anything about this have you heard anything about this oh, what selling your publishing rights yes well of course but this is it's sort of a, how do I phrase this? There was $5 billion worth of publishing sales done in 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, just band after musician after artist, they all just unloaded. And there's been a fuck ton of them, too. I got a list here. We'll go through here in a moment. Um, well, Bob Dylan makes sense because at this point, he just needs the money. He's right. old enough to where if he just can get us $400 million, Set his him and his family up forever. I mean, come on, how much longer is Bob Dylan going to live? Another ten years? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of different reasons that um that the various articles listed as the reasons why this is taking place so rampantly. Uh, one of them was fears of Biden's uh, tax increase for millionaires. So it was, it's just a little ironic that all of these. Uh, Maybe maybe they're not all tax the rich, but I think with a big enough push, they would probably be into tax the rich, except they didn't want to get taxed, so they took the money and ran while the running was good. Um, another one is, it, uh, I guess technically it would protect against situations like, um, who's a good one, uh, the Zappa estate. You know, there's so much infighting and bickering about what gets done with the with the copyrights, who gets yes. the money, how it gets split up. Uh, this is just like one lump sum, and then this publishing company ends up in charge of everything. And unfortunately, that the reality situation is is it's if the distributor has their hands on the actual rights, then you're going to be able to hear it much easier than if the artist is, because the artist is just concerned about making a buck on it. Modern example would be Jay-Z. Jay-Z has never allowed his music to leave his grip. Um, if there's any you know Spotify-type product that's playing his thing, it's owned by him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't let Spotify or anyone else touch his shit. And for him, that's the good deal because he gets complete financial control over his product. But we, as the consumer miss out because I can't just well not that I'm a huge Jay Z guy, but you can't you can't listen to his music very easily unless you go and buy it or, you know Or, or you're Neil Young and you get your panties all in a bunch and you decide to pull all your music off of Spotify. Well Neil he he barked up the wrong tree publicity wise. He I think he really tried to to make a stir and to, and to make all of the left people happy, but what he didn't realize is that there's a lot more center and right people, I think, in the world right now than left people. I think that people are pretty 
exhausted with this sort of shenanigans that he tried to pull off. But he also mentioned something about interest rates. And that kind of makes me think for a big purchase of something like Bob Dylan's catalog, where you're spending you know, $400 million, let's say half a billion dollars. Right. Which uh, Bruce Springsteen, his catalog sold for about half a million t- or half a billion as well. Sure. And when I think of like an amount of money that big, no matter, you know, these companies like universal group, obviously is an extremely wealthy company, but I can't imagine that they have like a billion dollars just sitting around in cash because that's just bad business. And um, with a purchase like that, I imagine you take out a loan. Well, you know, who's got a controlling interest in universe or UMG, right? Who's that? Motherfucking Tencent. Tencent, yeah. Yep. Uh, Tencent Which is itself a massive company. Owns 20%. 20% of uh, 20% shares. 20% of Universal. Yeah. That's so massive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from, who was this article from? Uh, Digital Music News. Uh, the IPO, I'm not sure what IPO stands for, but the IPO quickly positioned Tencent as the largest single shareholder, giving the Chinese-owned media conglomerate considerably uh, considerable sway over future corporate decisions. Previously, Vivendi SE held a controlling 70% stake in Universal Music Group, but opted to divest a 60% ownership chunk to capitalize on a surge in recorded music valuations while alleviating the stock drag created by its broad and diverse asset ownership. So that worries me because that means that they aren't making as much money as they want. And it leads me to believe that Tencent got that stake in it, not for financial reasons. They got into it for the the influence and the power. And they're actually probably spending money to a certain degree, or at least not, not making a ton of money, not as much money as they could investing it elsewhere but they get something much more valuable i mean i'm sure they get a return but to have control over such a massive influence on our culture is um it's a value that's hard to measure in money yeah and uh unfortunately i don't have a working list of who all is signed with universal or umg i should say Mm -hmm. but uh Probably quite a lot. Well, it's a, it's a shitload. I mean, Universal's yeah, massive, yeah. massive, massive, massive. Uh, let um, me let me hit you with this next clip because I want to talk about one of the other companies that's uh, that also is buying up. It's just gobbling. Just nom, 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 nom. my hunger is insatiable. Uh, Interscope, by the way, sorry to cut you off. I stepped on your clip, but Interscope and all these guys that we talked about before and Geffen Records and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And all of the West Coast hip-hop scene and all of that, that's all under Universal. Yes. And uh, Servo did point out initial public offering is what IPO stands for. <laughs> Not that that necessarily uh, <laughs> uh, uh, illuminates anything for me. <laughs> oh, you don't know what an IPO is? Mm-mm. It's when a company first goes public. Oh. It's their initial public offering, which is... I Typically, see. how that goes out in real life is they have preferred stock that they give to their all the high up people, mm-hmm. and then by the time it actually gets to the plebs like you and me, what we're getting is like D or F stock, and that's usually what the IPO actually is. That's their the initial public offering is that 
that first load of shares that they unload on the public. And then from there, you can buy on the stock market. Hmm. Well, this is uh, this is the second clip of the same billboard video. Uh, my notes said, typical rich people, right? Doesn't sound like a risk if you're loaded and you're a publisher. Cash outs are particularly high right now due to lowered interest rates. Investors are willing to pay more for music catalogs than they would be in a different economic time. Tax benefits are another consideration when selling a catalog. The current capital gains tax could rise for individuals who earn more than $1 million a year under a Biden administration. Selling a song catalog for a songwriter qualified as a capital gains transaction starting in 2006. Many songwriters also sell their catalogs with estate planning in mind. Prince, Aretha Franklin, and Tom Petty's estates all involved complicated lawsuits. In an effort to avoid complications with their assets, songwriters are selling to protect their legacy. And on top of it all, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought unprecedented challenges to the music community. Artists that own their publishing catalogs are unable to tour right now, making immediate cash-outs very appealing to publishing owners who have considered selling their work. There's a general push to generate income because, you know, if you had a $70 $70 million tour canceled for this year. That's a lot of money to replace. Keeping catalogs is generally a risk due to changing consumer preferences and new technology. Selling a catalog can often be more profitable for the songwriter than keeping it, and it rarely affects anyone who they may have collaborated with. While songwriters are incentivized to sell, music publishers and investment groups are buying up publishing rights in hopes of cashing in over the long term through public performances, streaming, and syncs, which include usage in film, television, and video games. The boom in song catalog sales has shifted the music industry significantly, changing the way people think about music ownership and creating a new market that is showing no signs of stopping. In simple terms, you can say the times are ka-chinging. Get it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> the times are... <laughs> yes, it is that's a hard little... rain that's going to fall. That is a little racist. I'm not... I'm not saying nothing, but that's a little racist. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> yeah. Walk up to the beehive with a 10-foot pole, shove that pole up my ass, and then stomp on the beehive. <laughs> and we have pictures of that that uh, Booberry drew. You check out the uh, show notes. I drew them just for you. I know. Oh, I know. my. Oh, I did pay for them. Um, I think that Bob Dylan just wants to cash out. Yeah. And, and I do think that, yeah, these guys have enough money where, and you know, this next Democrat, I, it's, it's crazy. It's only been one year. Mm. I feel like Biden has been president for like eight years. He's like, just every day is just like, oh, it's like Trump. <laughs> it was, it was like with Trump. It's like every day there's just some new fucking thing. It's like, Whoa, even worse than before. Now, except when Trump was president, they'd be like, day 121. Day 122. The walls are closing in based oh on the God. Mueller reports. The walls are closing in, folks. The I remember the simple days in. back when we just had the Mueller report on every day for like a whole year. That's all people worried about was just the Mueller report. And now we all live in the shadow of that triumphant piece of American effort oh god what a good time anyway i want to so real quick i want to hit this list 
of uh, of famous musicians. We can go through it pretty quickly. We got uh, Bob Dylan. Neil Young sold fifty percent of his career catalog to Hypnosis, which Hypnosis. I was not familiar with this uh, publisher. They're fairly new, and uh, Hypnosis is traded on the London Stock Exchange. In addition to getting cash from debt, uh, Primary Wave, which I think is one of the holding partners of Hypnosis, is backed by institutional investors, including BlackRock, who plays money into funds for the music company to spend. Oh, BlackRock, they got their fingers and everything. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, That's the sad financial reality, is that really everything's owned by Vanguard and BlackRock. Everything. And Blackstone. There's a Blackstone. Did you know there's a Blackstone? Blackstone, BlackRock. Yep. And they were actually, they they were gestated out of the same entity. Uh, BlackRock is the one that broke off, took investment money from Blackstone, and then launched into their thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very incestuous. No shit. Just uh, wait until you look at the family bloodlines. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, I still couldn't believe when we looked at Bill Gates' bloodline and he straight up was just descended from like all those Puritan uh, people, that, immigrants that came over from England in the early 1600s that like are all of the origins of the founding fathers and all their families. Like he, he's basically from a like George Washington type family. But no, he's a uh, started it in his garage. Yeah, basically, basically. Ah, the list. Um, okay. So, yeah, how about that list, huh? Uh, Neil Young, Stevie Nicks, Imagine Dragons, Whitney Houston, David Crosby, Disturbed, The Killers, Lindsey Buckingham, Barry Manilow, Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi, uh, Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, Blondie. I mean, that's only. Hmm, I made it to thirteen, and the list is. Uh, 78, 78 items long. <laughs> yeah, they've got everybody. I mean, the whole point, and we've talked about this, especially in the Chirac Punk episode, is that if you want to be famous, you have to go through these people. Yeah. The day of independent whatever is here, but you're not going to hear about it unless you find it. Yeah. Uh, Beach Boys sold everything to Irving uh, Azov's iconic artists. Uh, let's see. Glenn Tipton, for any of you metalheads out there, Judas Priest. It's one of the primary songwriters for, um, for, for Judas Priest. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, all pre-2020 material, was sold to Hypnosis for about $140 million. So, BlackRock, Blackstone's got, uh, the, the Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bing Crosby, I mean, damn, the list. James Brown, a stake in his publishing company to Primary Wave, which was in relation to Hypnosis and BlackRock. His was sold at $90 million. It's a steal. Yeah. $5 billion. I mean, that's, in the grand scheme of things, that's it's kind of a paltry sum in this day and age. Well, I mean, in the music industry, it's a lot of money. Um to the pharma companies, it isn't, but to uh, to just, I mean, to just people, it is. But, but is it yeah. even really the music industry at this point? If it's if all of the backers are Blackstone and BlackRock and Tencent, 
Well, it's you got to think of like investment. I mean, what is it worth? And these guys, they they own it, they make a return on it. But when it comes to billions and billions and billions, it's that that kind of money doesn't come quite as easily as it as it does in other uh, as it does in other industries. That, Just in my experience, that's fair. But there's the touring aspect. I mean, there's like the the real money. I think is in concerts and and touring. And I think that there's a massive amount of money in that. I think that um, organizers make make a. They probably have a bunch of fingers in the whole organizing industry. Well, if you if you remember back to the episode we did with the with the Bim Dog uh, Live Nation and whoever that fucking other one was, BMG, I think. They were all jitty because they were thinking that uh, once the shows opened back up, they were going to have soaring profits. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. here's David Crosby explaining why he sold his entire song catalog. He sold it for his. Hmm. Sorry, I thought I had the number. He uh, we had so David Crosby explained we had two ways of making money: touring and records. Streaming doesn't pay us. It's like you did your job for a month and they gave you a nickel. You'd be pissed. That's why we are pissed. Because they are making billions and not paying the people who are creating the music. So I'm trying to be grateful that I can still play live and pay the rent and take care of the family. But along comes COVID and I can't play live. That was it. Now I'm broke. Now I don't don't want to lose my home, man. We've got an old adobe house here in the middle of a cow pasture. It's just fucking wonderful. A beautiful, beautiful place in the middle of a bunch of trees. It's just lovely. It's not fancy, and it's not rich, and it's not big, but it's really right. Uh, we want to live here all of our lives, so I sold my publishing. Mm, and that's for the that's for the big sum. I mean, if you're a big company and you got all these rights, the best thing about that is passive income. Passive income. You don't have to do anything. Especially if you are the distributor, you just you just do your job as a distributor, and then you get that extra money on top of it. Especially if the the streaming companies are coming to you asking to stream your products. Yeah, and who knows what the deal is between the stream services and these guys? Yeah, I don't think uh, Spotify necessarily pulls in billions per year. I could be wrong. I mean, uh, the subscription model, and then whatever advertising money they get—that's that's the money that Spotify gets, but. I'm sure that they make hundreds of millions a year, but uh, when you're talking about Blackstone, Blackstone, just like you say in your notes, I mean Blackstone's got somewhere between three hundred and four hundred billion dollars in assets, right? And yeah, with that kind of pull, you know, another five billion a year, yeah, it's money's money. These guys, they want to be on the up and up, but it is when it comes to music. I think a lot of people get into music personally. I think a lot of individuals in these big companies get into music because they think it's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. No doubt. They're like, I get to be a music producer. (laughs) (laughs) People know I'm a rock and roller. Uh, I haven't rock and rolled in a long time, but I'm looking to rock and roll some more. It is no longer... Cool to be anti-establishment, to be a rebel, to be that old-school rock and roller that wore a leather jacket and went against the grain of society. I just had a brilliant idea. My next denim jacket, I'm going to get a big fucking Black uh, black Rock logo on the back. Big Black Rock patch. Mm-hmm. 
That and then it'll be let in everywhere. Dude, I'm, I, and then I'm just going to walk in like I own the place. I literally walked in. I bought it. What's up? <laughs> I own the place. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Hi, Bruce Wayne. I own the place. Oh, my. Uh, did you have anything? Uh, I, I think that uh, does it for, for that particular story. It'd yeah. be interesting to see who else uh, jumps into the pot. Like you said, Keith Richards said, just means you're getting old when you sell your catalog. Yes. Oh, you know what? I actually, I used to work for Blackstone. Funny enough. Yeah. Yep. SeaWorld. SeaWorld Entertainment. Or, uh, no, I'm sorry. Blackstone bought Anheuser-Busch mm. way back when, like uh, 2008. And then they purchased SeaWorld. And then, <laughs> then SeaWorld sold purchased Budweiser at SeaWorld. Yeah. Yeah, they split the park from the brewery, split it up into two things. That that's when SeaWorld bought it, if I'm not mistaken. But then I think Blackstone bought SeaWorld. It's all very incestuous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh yeah. It's been a lot of time learning about theme parks, what can I say? Um what else? Oh, I, I got a story from uh, Spencer that uh, we didn't get to last week. All right. If my jingles would fire. Uh, it's like three seconds late. It's fine. Um, Spencer sent me the story of Kyle Odom. Uh, does this name ring, ring a bell? Are you familiar with, uh, with what happened familiar. to him? Kyle Odom, yeah. I feel like it's like a 4chan name that I heard somewhere. Yeah, you've probably seen the images of uh, some of his artwork flowing around, some of his diary entries. Um, these clips, <clears throat> and if I'm, if it if it pans out right, I think I'm going to take the next uh, two weeks or so and kind of spend some time on this topic, because he's got a lot of interesting things to say, at the very least. Um but I have a I have a long clip here that explains exactly why Kyle Odom got into so much trouble. We're following breaking news out of Coeur d'Alene tonight. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Aaron Luna. A Coeur d'Alene pastor was shot today outside of the Altar Church at 9th and Best just before 2 p.m. Parishioners at Altar Church have identified the victim as Pastor Tim Remington. He runs the Good Samaritan program at the church, which helps people battling drug addiction. It's a story you first saw on KXLY Force Twitter and Facebook page. KXLY Force Allie Norton has been at the scene all afternoon. Allie, he uh, talked at Ted Cruz's event yesterday any idea if this is connected? Coeur d'Alene police are trying to figure that out right now. They are not sure, and so here they are investigating. You still have parishioners here on scene also waiting for answers about what happened. According to Coeur d'Alene police, the pastor was shot outside the church, and they're hoping that a surveillance video shed some light on who did this and how. Several members say that the shooting happened right after service this afternoon as Remington was leaving in his car. He was shot multiple times, but reports vary on just how many. The last we heard, he was going into surgery at the hospital. Now, we asked some of the other parishioners why they think this would happen, and they simply just cannot think of a reason. He's introducing Jesus Christ and the Bible to so many lost souls around here that it's just, I can't believe that someone would even think of doing something like this to him. I don't know why anybody would think to do this. He's 
such a good man. It's been a very emotional scene here. The assistant pastor led parishioners in prayer, asking for a speedy recovery and also forgiveness for the person responsible. Coeur d'Alene police do not have a description of that suspect at this time, but they do believe that the shooter acted alone. Police say that this is an incident that is all hands on deck. They've requested other agencies in this region, so you can expect that this road will be closed down for some time as they investigate what happened. Uh, they are definitely going to need the assistance of some other agencies. So, on March 7th, uh, March 7th, 2016, in Idaho, Kyle Odom walked up to this uh, this preacher and shot him six times. He fired the gun 12. Uh, Kyle is a former Marine. He's got uh, awards for marksmanship in, in handguns and rifles. That's not uh, been that good. Well, shot twelve and only hit six. And this Sorry. is probably a distance from. Uh, I didn't. I don't know if I have where or how far it was, but uh, one of the bullets tried to enter the brain, but stopped at the skull. One of the bullets busted his hip. One fractured his shoulder, and I think there was one more in the leg. Um. So yes, he gets shot. I mean, he gets he he. As far as I'm aware, he was using 45s, maybe a hollow point. Um, I here's a clip explaining a 45 with a 12 round clip. Like uh, anyway, continue. It was oh god, I'll look for it in this next clip. This is what it's not important. This is what this is what kind of damage you can expect from a bullet like that. This is what we're getting here. Through the expansion, you can see that starred pattern from the actual PDX-1. So as it's spinning through, or sorry, most likely, sorry, this way, spinning through, is causing the actual star pattern to actually be sliced through the ballistics gel. And uh, let's get into that actual wound. I'm going to cut this open a little bit more, and we'll see exactly what happened to the heart. So when a PDX-1 hits you, this is the damage you're going to get through an actual organ complete destruction this was a whole hog heart there was no tears in it no slices this destruction pattern is being caused because of this pdx1 round going straight through so in the ballistics gel it didn't look too didn't look too severe the actual channel itself was pretty consistent with mushrooming all the way through but when we open it up to see the actual trauma that happened to the actual heart you can see that is like ground beef and there is chunks of ballistics gel inside of this that is ground up this smells glorious, by the way. Just let you guys know. Oh boy, wish you could smell this. <coughs> so, <laughs> uh, these pieces here, you can see it looks like ground beef. That was not like that before. And it goes all the way through. Ooh, look at that. I'm just going to take this bad boy out. Get a little messy. Backside, <laughs> this was the heart. That's the heart now. None of this was cut before. This is where the round entered. And overall, this is what the remaining part of it looks like. It split it in half. Now, Tim Remington, the preacher, was shot six times with this type of bullet. Yeah. It's a, it's a little fucked up. You're not supposed to live. You're not it's, supposed to live through that. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that he survived. I, I will not argue that. Uh, it's fucking insane, honestly. And it's so fucked up to even, like, I don't know, so inhumane to shoot someone. Yeah, like that. Uh, but Kyle, as as you could, uh, as as most people would would argue, he was a very disturbed individual. 
Uh, he spent a lot, I shouldn't say a lot of time, but he, he was definitely attending this church that Tim was, uh, was preaching at. Ex-Marine veteran. Yep. Yep. Uh, this is a little backgrounder on Kyle. Kyle was born and raised in northern Idaho, and he lived a relatively normal life. He had a normal and loving family and friends, and he was super intelligent. Hmm. He finished high school, and he went on to join the Marine Corps. And after the Marine Corps, he really liked the science field. So he decided that he would go to the University of Idaho in fall of 2010 to study biochemistry. Which is very tough. Very. Where he finished with a degree and a great GPA and graduated magna cum laude. Is that how you say that? Yeah. I don't know why I didn't graduate that. (laughs) Couldn't tell you because we didn't do it. Couldn't tell you because we cheated. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) During college, he won numerous awards. He was on an academic scholarship. And when I tell you this man is an intelligent person, he is very freaking intelligent. After college, he applied to some grad schools, and he got an offer to get his PhD at the Baylor College of Medicine in Human Genetics. Oh, my God. An offer to, like, come study Yeah, there. that's insane. This guy's not a joke. He was, he was getting biochemistry degrees. He was getting grad work done for uh, pharmacy work. He's no slouch, man. I feel like I've heard this before. Well, you'll probably... It'll all probably click with this last clip here, which is this one. Well, this drawing is yet another twist in the case of an ex-Camp Pendleton Marine accused of shooting a pastor in Idaho six times. Police arrested Kyle Odom at the White House. 10 News military reporter Hannah Mullins is covering this developing story and joining us with his bizarre 21-page Martian manifesto. Hannah. And guys, in it, he said the aliens are hypersexual, so they controlled his mind and stimulated him to the point of exhaustion. God, we pray that your hand, your divine hand, intervenes in this man's life. Prayers for a pastor who led them in prayer. Tim Remington started preaching on the streets of San Bernardino about 20 years ago and even took people into his home. Since then, he's devoted himself to helping people with drug and alcohol addictions find their way. Him and his wife and family have given up their lives uh, to minister to all of us and to help us find hope in Jesus. Kyle Odom has demons of his own with a history of mental illness. He went to the altar armed and sat among them during Sunday service. Just outside that holy place, an evil attack. Police say Odom unloaded his gun into Remington. The Secret Service tracked Odom to the White House, where they say he tossed flash drives over the fence. I don't know why anybody would think to do this. The answer may be in Odom's written word. Mm, He's such a good man. According to his manifesto, Odom believes Martians rule the world. He says dozens of them are U.S. lawmakers who crave control. The manifesto goes into disturbing detail about how the aliens got into his head and played out their sexual fantasies. In fact, he claims the aliens made Odom their sex slave. He also believes they live deep underground and in the moon, but Martians like Remington hide out in church to keep from getting caught. Churchgoers are grateful there was some sort of intervention. We trust God, we trust Jesus, that he's going to work something miraculous through this. Odom says the people I killed are not what you think, which makes you wonder if more attacks were planned and by some miracle that pastor pulled through. Hannah Mullins, 10 News. My God, it's an alien. The lizard people. Kyle Odom 
shot Tim because he thought he was a motherfucking amphibian from the planet Mars. Kyle's proof was that Tim shapeshifted right in front of his very face. Hmm. And Kyle has a 21-page manifesto, if uh, which they referenced in the article. And I this think guy was reminding me of the other manifesto guy. The, you're describing him. Ted the, Kaczynski. Oh, Professor yes. Ted. Sorry, I went to CC with that one, Christchurch. Um, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which I that one I've never never bothered to check out, but this one brought that one up. Yeah, this one is very interesting, and I've actually got the there's a most of the ones that are included in articles and whatnot. They're the redacted ones, and they don't have as many uh, pages as the one that I found, which is exciting. So if everyone's cool with it, I think next week I'd like to take some time reading through this because holy bejesus there's a lot of <laughs> things that just make you go huh when you take a step back and you consider all of these different microscopic moving parts of these grand schemes you got aliens you got what i would call sex magic you got gang stalking you got sniffing there's motherfucking sniffing involved it's it's mm. bizarre. I do want to hear more. Yeah, we'll have to go in depth on this and take a good amount of time and go through the manifesto. And I was thinking, I haven't really done like a, a cliffhanger, or I don't know if you want to call it that, but cliffhanger style episodes. Um, yeah, part part two coming. Yeah, that's, it's been a long while, probably since like 33, 34, and 35 or whatever when we were trying to do the new order of barbarians. Um, you did a attempted three parter on that, but, mm. uh, this is, I think this would be pretty interesting. Uh, I'm glad, uh, Spencer reached out with it. It's pretty wild stuff. Um, I, got, I, I like it a lot. I'm, I'm very interested to know about this manifesto and to, and to be like, I, I'm kind of expecting that I'm going to hear this, 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 you know, cause it's, guy's a whack job on the service or whatever right but we're gonna hear this manifesto and be like oh my god this guy's a genius <laughs> well you 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 heard the guy he had the grades i mean he had the grades well, it was the same thing with the kaczynski memo as well he is, is a scientist he is a literal scientist yeah <laughs> and that's what kaczynski was he was a math professor what say you now Oh, what these guys say have, you now? And they're always like, hey, you don't know. You're not a biologist, right? <laughs> well, guess what? Hey, I'm not a meteorologist. <laughs> this this guy, yeah. Oh, meteorology is the most fake of all the sciences. What? That's why it blows me away that people think they can like know what the weather was or what the weather will be like thousands or millions of years from now or behind mm -hmm. when they don't even know what the fuck it's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. Shh, it's fine. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Um, oh, oh man, I just realized that I do not actually. It's it's probably saved in uh, another uh, show notes file. Um, the manifesto that's linked currently in the show notes is not the full one. So I'll have to go oh, back we'll and, get into it. Next yeah, time. I'll have to go back and fix that. Um, so yeah, this 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 preacher survived. He. Uh, I mean, his recovery was pretty traumatic. 
I mean, he, he was having to have conversations with Vietnam uh, war vets and how to deal with pain management. Um, mm-hmm. But he he was talking to the paramedics when, when they arrived. It's, it's very, very strange. And uh, the last thing that I have to say about it is the Facebook post that Kyle made. He changed his profile picture to uh, a, a drawing that he did of the supposed amphibians. And if you go to the manifesto and scroll all the way down to the bottom, he sketched them out. So he changed mm. his profile picture. I just posted it in the chats there. Um, and he, oh, he, made, he posted the whole manifesto. Okay, here we go. And you have this guy, the picture. Okay. Yeah, scroll all the way down. You'll see it. Yep. Uh, and his post read, Things are not what they appear to be. The world is ruled by an ancient civilization from Mars. Pastor Tim was one of them, and he was the reason my life was ruined. I will be sharing my story with as many people as possible. I don't have the time right now. They are chasing me. I shot Pastor Tim 12 times. There is no way any human could have survived that event. Anyway, I sent my story to all the major news organizations. I have no time. I have to go. It is true. There's no way that somebody should have been able to survive that. You heard the clip of the the 45 through the pig heart. And I know, I know that a 45 with fucking shrapnel <laughs> blasting caps will absolutely eviscerate your fucking organs. Yeah, destroy you. It's what uh, cops use because of the stopping power. You know, they and, used to and, use it for hunting. Yeah. In fact, before they use it on people, they would use it for big game hunting. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, he was picked up by the Secret Service, and there was—I oh, don't know—I don't know if this is Men a fallacy, oh, dude. I don't know if this is a fallacy on the reporter, but in that they didn't say the way that they phrased it was the uh, the Secret Service tracked him down. Um, how was he able? Because he was identified fairly quickly, within 48 hours at the very minimum. How was he able to... No, he might have been identified within the first fucking 24 hours. But regardless, he had made it onto the wanted list, and then got on a flight from Idaho to D.C. Only to be arrested by the Secret Service because he was throwing shit over the fence. Why was he able to get on the flight? I mean, this is this is not 2003. This is not even 2004. It's fucking 2016. You're in the computer by this uh, uh, by this moment. Hmm. You know, it's all very weird. It's very spooky. Yeah, this seems like a, a nice little rabbit hole to go down. I'm probably gonna look into this too this week. It's piqued my interest, Kyle Odom. Is this making you horny? Speaking of gang stalking, we should bring up our Virginia situation. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was kind of weird. I was checking something on our podcasting host website and noticed that on Sunday and partially into Monday, we had over a uh, uh, over five hundred. I, I want to say the number was like five fifty something. We had five hundred and fifty downloads out of nowhere. And I went to go see, because, you know, Podserve will show you these little 
analytics and the download numbers, it's all kind of bogus and made up. I mean, it's it's really any time that someone plays the show, those numbers are counted uh, towards the total download count. At least that's what um, my impression is. But these 500 downloads all came from Amazon Music, which is kind of bizarre. And they all came out of one state, which is Virginia. And each one of the episodes, uh, I didn't check them all, but I did go back through the very first item in the RSS feed, which is the original opener, and check the first couple of episodes. So, like, one through three, and then the past four or five. And it was the same deal. Every episode had five to eight new downloads on it. Which is very, it's very interesting. That is a, um, a very interesting pattern. Yeah, in a way, it's like, if you look at it on the chart and the visualization, it's probably the single most downloads, you know, uh, uh, on a single day that we've ever had. And it's actually genuinely like a significant fraction of the downloads that we've ever had at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it <laughs> trumps, I mean, that's probably a month and some change, I don't in one you know, day. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really follow the numbers like that. I mean, it's neither do I. But if you, I mean, it has a nice little overall chart that you can look at where you can, yeah, kind of get a gauge on it. And yeah, it's it's astounding. Uh, all all from Virginia, uh, which sends off my radars because Virginia is the spook central uh, state. Mm-hmm. Langley, Virginia, the CIA headquarters, and then Virginia in general. I mean, it's just it's right next to Washington D.C. So you have any alphabet soup agency at its disposal out of Virginia mm-hmm. that could come in and go, hey, you know, these this podcast is uh, talking about weird subversive stuff. Uh, why don't we just check through and make sure that they're not saying anything too crazy? Yeah. And they go and they have five interns, you know, run through the gambit real quick over at the, at the headquarters. Why not? <laughs> It seems like, and DC Girl, and all the spooks in the no agenda sphere as well who are ratting on us because you know that there's fucking feds and spooks like DC Girl that are ratting on us. <laughs> well, but not Nick the Rat. Nick the Rat wouldn't rat on us. The first and foremost thing that I would want them to hear is smoke ivermectin and fuck the feds. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've got a little tribute to Langley in the intermission tonight. That is medical advice, motherfucker. Also, go to bigbudget.cheap right now. Dude. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my God. Mary-Kate Ultra got us a new redirect. <laughs> bigbudget.cheap. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Fuck yes. Um, That's a... Uh, oh, speaking of uh, any social bots, dude, while we were listening, or while we were starting the show... Literally, while the while the um, intro was playing, I was followed on No Agenda Social by Glow Boy, Glow in the Dark CIA agent. Whoa! Yes, bro, I want to follow him. Uh, <laughs> you can follow him. I don't. They're following me. Cool. They're following me. It's funny. They got the. The big picture is those guys that were at the Trump rally that were obviously feds. Yeah. Uh, they're all glowing. I love it. Nice. Oh, you and Servo got followed, too. Oh, my God. Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> See, Servo's smart. 
I'm just like, yeah, follow me. Huh, what a big joke. So I was like, nah, fuck. Like, oh shit, that's what I should have done. I I sometimes wonder if this next caller glows. Wow. Well, I've heard it all now. <laughs> Who knew Gollum was a fucking fed? Is. I never thought I'd live to hear Lavish be done in a Gollum voice. So thank you. Thank you for that, caller. Thank you for that, Smeagol. <laughs> uh, here's, our, uh, here's our next one. To the future or to the past. To a time when thought is free. When men are different from one another and do not live alone. To a time when truth exists and what is done cannot be undone. From the age of uniformity. From the age of solitude, from the age of Big Brother, from the age of Doublethink, greetings. Oh. And greetings to you, caller. Yes, thank you for your Doublethink message. Yeah. It is double plus good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yes, that comrade. Was, it's a brave was, uh, new world, no doubts. Excellent originals. To the future, to the past. To a time when tonight is free, when men are different from one another. The transcription did really well on that one. <laughs> you can read the whole cool. thing out. Yeah, it's very legal. Maybe we can pull something from that for the show title. Uh, we have one more. Should we save it? Let's save it. Yeah, we're going to save it. We're going to save it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't not call in. You should call in. I think you should call in at 612-263-7999. God damn straight. Get some. Get some of Get it some. into your life. And I just want to give a big, big shout out to Double Thought, uh, by the way. Uh, I just wanted to, to wish him very well. Uh, we will be thanking producers fully when we get back from our wonderful intermission, which will be short, sweet, uh and we'll be right back, and, and then we're going to talk about a little more stuff. But after we thank our fantastic producers, because we operate in a value-for-value value model. Yeah, there is no other model. Yep. Unless you want to go be Universal's bitch. Hey, I got some blue stuff for you. <laughs> 400 million for blue stuff.
It, it is a great honor to be here with the men and women of the CIA. I've been eager to come out here uh, to Langley for some time so I can deliver a simple message to you in person on behalf of the American people. Thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do to protect the American people and the freedom that we all cherish. And the CIA is fundamental to America's national security. And I want you to know that that's why I nominated such an outstanding public servant and close friend, Leon Panetta, to, leave, uh, to lead the agency. He is one of our nation's finest public servants. He has my complete confidence, and he is a strong voice in my national security team. Benefit from the counsel of several agency veterans, uh, chief among them, Steve Capitas, who's stayed on to serve as Leon's deputy. I also want you to know that uh, we have one of your own, uh, John Brennan, who is doing a terrific job as my advisor for counterterrorism and homeland security. Uh, and we are very grateful for the work that he does and the insights that he brings from uh, his long years of service here at the CIA. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the extraordinary former CIA officer and director of Central Intelligence, Bob Gates, uh, who is also part of our cabinet. And I want to underscore the importance of the CIA. Here in the 21st century, we've learned that the CIA is more important than ever. For, as Leon mentioned, we face a wide range of unconventional challenges. Stateless terrorist networks like Al-Qaeda, the spread of catastrophic weapons, cyber threats, failed states, rogue regimes, persistent conflict. From here in Virginia to dangerous outposts around the globe, you make enormous sacrifices on our behalf. I know that I've come to personally count on your services. I rely on your reporting and your analysis, which finds its way onto my desk every single day. And, and what makes it tougher is when you succeed, as you so often do, that success usually has to stay secret. So you don't get credit when things go good, but you sure get some blame when things don't. Now,
second second half a show for behind the schemes it is indeed episode 91 which i just realized is the same number as the year i was born if you only use the last two digits me too hey we were both born in 91 and it's episode 91 it's kind of like a golden episode like <clears throat> your golden year or whatever it is something, yeah something to that effect I had my golden birthday not too long ago, mm, too, because mm-hmm. I was one of the 29th. Ah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. yes, that's what it is. Yeah, a bunch of youngins. Well, I don't know about youngins. I mean, we're once you're 30, we're no longer millennials now. We're uh, we're boomers. Or no, that's not how it works. Yeah, you should come count the all the white hair that's shown up in my beard. <laughs> I got a lot. <laughs> Just chop me down and count all my rings. There we go. See see what's up. 
Yeah, we're all 90s kids around here. We got a lot of fun people in their late 20s, early 30s. But we have people of all age groups. We, it, we're the outlier. There seems to be more people that are in their 40s and 50s. And, and uh, you know, those are the people that really rule the world and are really having the time of their life. Yeah, and when you're um, when you're broadcasting to hundreds of billions of people, it's you're bound to cast a wide net. Yeah, we do. We got all kinds of ages of folks, and and by goodness, we probably have people younger uh, listening. Hopefully, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure the younger people are on, uh, I don't know, OnlyFans or something, or whatever the kids use, Twitch, whatever, you know, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, yeah. The thing that I'm trying to say is thank you to all the people that came out and helped support this production of Behind the Schemes. It's a big stack of folks. Big, big stack. Hey, let me pull this up here. Yeah, we got a fat, fat list of producers, and, and that is so awesome uh, because we operate, as Booberry said, on the value value model, which means that we don't take any corporate sponsors or anything. We only except value from people who t- get actual value from us. We basically took podcasting back to the bartering with hide skins days where it's like, Oh, I'll trade you some of my podcast for some of your grain. <laughs> Potato so, for your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Over at hog story, you know, you give them hogs but over here. Whatever. You give us whatever value you get out of the show, you return the value, and that's how it works. And so in that way, you know, we nothing is taken from you at excess, only what you feel in your heart to be true. And the, the first person that came through this week was Double Thought of Double Thought Dimension, and he sent us a donation of $3.33. Ding, ding. We really appreciate that. And I found out yesterday, I got a couple of things to, to say about Double Thought, actually. Yesterday, I found out that he is now a boostable show. So if you go ah. and use one of those nude podcast apps, you can start sending Double Thought Dimension all of those hard-earned sats. Send out, some, uh, send out some karma, send out some love, send them out some yeah. light. Double thought dimension is compliant. Very good. Very good. Yes, we like <laughs> we like this. Like it when you're double compliant. plus. Very good. <laughs> yeah, please well, check out his show. Oh, sorry. Could you? I was going to say. I guess technically the very part would be improper double uh, double speak vernacular. It's not double speak dimension. Double thought dimension. Yes, and you can find it at any new podcast app or new podcast app. Yeah, give us some stats. Yeah, it's a good show. Boost them. Uh, We also had another podcaster squeeze through right at the very beginning of the show. Um, It was Nam, or N.A. Millennial. He uh, he actually sent us a couple of things. Um, He sent me a liquid soap file that we could uh, potentially use to set up the stream to do different playlists, uh, play different bumpers. You can have mm-hmm. it tune into different streams at specific times during the week. That's very cool. Wow. I got to look into that. Um, I got to, you got to, we got to talk about that. Get that going. 
So we've been talking about we, when we aren't playing the actual show, we do have our own stream. I know that right now we're broadcasting to the No Agenda stream, the CurioCast stream. We operate on our own stream, and uh, when we're not on, we're going to have other things playing. So that, you know, it's just part of a... Uh, there are a lot of streams, a lot of shows that are doing that. So we're trying to get up to speed on that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all very exciting I can't wait to. Well, probably I need. I just need some time to let the dust settle a little bit. It's crazy. Yeah, things are crazy right now. I mean we 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 have a lot of ideas for the show, but we have zero time, and mm-hmm. uh, so we're just we're just. But things are coming along, and and time will pass, and we'll we'll get it all figured out. But this last month has just been wild. Um, but you can go check out his show at, uh, let me make sure I don't fuck this up, namillennial.com. Mm-hmm. His show, a Millennial Media Offensive, or MMO, uh, which uh, actually followed No Agenda live last Sunday. Or I should say yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost, I was like, well, there's the show file. I guess technically I could hop on the stream. I was like walking in the door and Darren O reconnected and started playing it. <laughs> you could have hopped on with him. I was like, well, the no agenda is not playing or excuse me. The episode that they uploaded was not playing. Darren didn't see it at first. There's a lot of people dropping the link to the show or to oh, that episode in the chats. I see. And I saw that. I was like, well, I'm just about to get home. I, cut the computer on real quick and broadcast it out but darren saw it and he was back on mm. yep. yeah i could have could have stole it but nah dio was all over it um but i did want to say that uh nan sent us uh, a donation making him uh, a, a a proper freak of hazards uh, freak of hazards being people that help produce this show he got in a donation of seven dollars and 77 cents oh yeah that's right and by the way, being a producer means you can send us financial contributions or you can send us clips or, or whatever, pictures, ideas. But uh, yes, those who send financial contributions are freaks of hazard. So now, Nam, you're an official freak. Welcome to the club. Yes, totally not a fed. <laughs> no. And thank you for saying that I wasn't a fed on the No Agenda stream yesterday. I appreciate it. Just reaffirms it. <laughs> Uh, Spaz and Spencer uh, were both responsible for sending my stories tonight, uh, plus the movie that I watched. Really appreciate that, y'all. Especially, damn, when- I wish people sent me show material. Well, <laughs> you, I'm kidding. This you know what they should do is reach out to you. Oh, you need your password, don't you? Damn it. Yeah, don't worry, we'll figure that out. But I, I can be found at lavish at behindtheschemes dot com, and I am boo at behindtheschemes dot com. Boo. Uh, we do have a, this is more of a programming note, um, but we do have a, a live No Agenda episode coming up. It is going to be June. Sorry, I'm trying to update. It's not really coming up. It's in a couple months. Well, get excited. (laughs) Yeah, get stoked. Get pumped. Yeah, June 12th. It will be episode 101, unless my count is off, (laughs) which (laughs) I've been wrong before. 10 weeks from now. (laughs) No, 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 that, you're right. It should be 101. It's 101, Booberry. Nice. The gates. <laughs> uh, but he's got also, uh, I've got it listed there, he's got a playlist for all the upcoming live shows that will take place after No Agenda on Sundays. So mm. be sure to keep 
keep checking back to that for all the hottest podcasting action. Hot. So uh, hot. The reason that I was at the metaf- uh, metaphysical shop this past Saturday, I went to a couple, but I was dropping off the business cards that Mousy Bear had sent me uh, at these various rock shops. Seemed like an appropriate place for him, so I went and pinned them up on billboards. One of them did say, if you ever came or if you ever started producing something that was that you didn't have to refrigerate, they did offer consignments. So I think they said it was a 30 70 split. So they, Jesus, so they would keep 30 and, and, and you would get 70. Uh, they, they're really cool people. I got their contact information. Um, so I guess if anybody's ever interested in selling something, uh, some of their wares at a little rock shop here in the Miniocalypse, let me know. All right. Uh, Sir Manny. Hello. Hello. Good to see you. Oh, Sir Manny. We should say hi to him. Hey. Hey, Sir Manny. (laughs) Came in with a donation of $6.66 right before we started the show. Very cool. Very legal. That is very Satan-y. By all law books, that is indeed very legal. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we appreciate that, Sir Manny. Hope you're doing well out there. Yes, yeah, Sir Manny. We haven't uh we haven't heard from you, heard from you in a while, but uh we hope you're we hope you're doing well wherever you may be out there. Mm-hmm. Let us know about your current adventures. I want to skip the next one. I want to come back to it, but I want to get Turbo Faggot in first. I spelt it Turbo Fairy God. Turbo Fairy God. <laughs> Turbo Fairy God. And no. his name is Turbo Faggot. <laughs> <laughs> I've been outed. <laughs> oh my God. So is he. Yes. Turbo Fairy God. Fairy not God. Only, not only the Turbo so. Fairy Godmother comes in. in. <laughs> uh, that's oh, funny. Jesus. He sent us $5.33, and he also came across a really fun Terry Davis Magician Tarot card. I think Turbo's a big fan of Terry Davis. I, I, I totally get it. What a wild mm. guy. Of course. Who isn't a fan of Terry Davis? Yeah, it looks like he, he, he's, he's got a very angelic form in this card. He's got a little halo. Um, mm-hmm. I guess he's a big fan of Shasta Cola, which I wasn't aware of but very cool there's obviously some deep memory going on here mm. but uh, turbo do you beat all the games on temple <laughs> temple os <laughs> i beat the reality <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's still one of the coolest things ever created by a single person for the computer the personal computer i should see if we can run this show off the of temple os I don't know if you want to do that, but we can try, but we don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On second thought, let's not go to Camelot. Yes, it is a silly place. It's a silly place. Dark Lord Arcade's never heard of him. Look him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks like Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, he does, actually. Sometimes I... I see a picture of him, and I'm like, oh, there's the one with his hat backwards that I'm always like, oh, is that Daniel Day or is that Terry A? There you go. The uh, So thank you. It, that card is indeed in our show notes in the Freak of Hazard segment. Uh, thank cool. you for, for finding that. It's, it's very fun. I like I, I really like it when people are sending in uh, 
whether it be tarot spreads, weird tarot cards, or finding tarot means. It's good shit. There's a lot of them. I, I was uh, playing a gig with my band last Thursday, and there was a girl at the show who was wearing a stoner tarot card. Nice. And I believe it was in the in the same image as the magician, which is this Terry Davis card. The magician. It's a very popular one to uh, to satire to satirize. Yeah, it's. I drew a magician card today when I did that first Celtic spread with the uh, with the new uh, the new deck. Very mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, there there's two things that uh, two last things that we should touch on. First. I don't know if 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 you haven't listened to Hawk Story and you haven't listened to Bowl After Bowl and you haven't listened to Rare Encounter, we behind the schemes placed on the list. <laughs> We're on a list, baby. Another one. Yeah. Uh, found but this it, one's a good list. This is yeah. It's a, it's a really it's a really it's a kind of a it's a strange list. Um, Fountain FM slash twenty twenty two. It's a it's a blog post put up by the uh, nude podcast app Fountain, uh, which is one that I use with uh, probably the most frequency. They released this little post on Saturday uh, Saturday twenty sixth, uh, March twenty sixth. That was kind of a weird formatting on their side. Uh, March twenty sixth, and it shows the most supported shows via boosting and the most played show through their app. And the first three would make sense. You got Podcasting 2.0, No Agenda, Mo Facts with Adam Curry. Uh, Tells from the Crypt is a Bitcoin podcast. They place fourth. What was the most hella cool was Bowl After Bowl made it at a whopping number five. They beat out Curry and the Keeper, which is Adam Curry's podcast he does with his wife. That's how legit Bowl After Bowl is. Mm-hmm. But yep. He- if you scroll down, so there's there's a bunch of Bitcoin. Basically, out of the first ten, there are one, two, three, four, five non no agenda Bitcoin focused podcasts. All right. Scrolling down a little further, you see Hog Stories at number eleven, Rare Encounter placed at fifteen, and then we come in at number nineteen with Behind the Schemes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Intergalactic Boombox, which is the uh, Kyle Abair. He is the voice actor uh, from Dragon Ball, uh, Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. His podcast showed up there. But we showed up in the most boosted shows, number 19. Yep, top 20 boosted shows in the world. And it's it's kind of... I've been having trouble kind of trying to come up with the... Boober is very emotional. I, he's 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 overwhelmed. He's overclamped. Well, so I know that there's no way that podcast or podcasting 2.0 of the show. I know that there's no way that they uh, there's no way that they read out every boost that comes into the show, and they definitely don't disclose how much people are streaming sets as they're listening to the show. You know, whether it be three sets a minute, five sets a minute, a hundred sets a minute. And it's kind of the same with No Agenda and Mo Facts. The first show that I'm totally aware or definitely aware of that they, they publicly announce how many boosts at least come through their show is Bowl After Bowl. And our node's been down for, fuck, it was like three weeks or something, right? 
it was quite a while. And then we had the, you know, traveling to Nashville and whatnot. So we weren't uh, getting boost at that point, I don't think. So I don't know. It was maybe three weeks, four weeks. Regardless, in that short amount of time, we picked up a tremendous amount of slack to show up in that position. And it tells me, I guess my gut instinct is there's not a ton of people on board with this yet. So what are you doing? You got to go over to newpodcastapps.com. I got to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. We are at the forefront of something. I don't know if it's going to stick around forever, but it's definitely happening now. And uh, it's it's so kind of complicated to people that aren't that aren't familiar with it. I think the the big trick is just simplifying it for people. But it, it definitely is moving forward. This and this like, whole system. I mean, this is just fountain alone which it's definitely skewed in that regards. But, I mean, it's Fountain. That's like, that's NetNed and Fletcher and Carolyn and Sir Spencer. And yep, uh, Cotton awesome. Gin. Like, these, these people, these people are solely responsible for putting us on that list. It's very incredibly fascinating. Uh, and I would like to, I don't know. I'd like to see more no agenda shows end up in this list or no agenda adjacent shows end up in this list. I mean, in the system, at least not the list. It'd be cool. Whoever, you know, the list is the list and it's such a spread out thing. I love that the, that half of them are Bitcoin shows though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no agenda shows up as number one for the most played and tells from the crypt. Number two podcasting 2.0 comes in at three. So it definitely gets a little swapped around. Uh, Tim Cass showed up on there, number yep, yep, 14. Yep, 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 yep. yep, yep. yep. So uh, we definitely appreciate everybody that reach, uh, reaches for their phone and boosts us. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And thanks for being part of this experiment, this project. hope it'll grow. Yes, and there was one final project that we were involved in that you can now reach out and touch. The... Oh god, I'm gonna fuck up the name now because they changed it. Um R. E. Huffin Stuff. A video game that Lavish and I have been involved with. Uh the it was produced by the boys over at Rare Encounter, Abel Kirby and Cold Acid. We released or we worked on and released a visual novel. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it was it was really all through, yeah, the Rare Encounter guys. They they brought us on they brought on the bull after bull people the hog story people they brought on a bunch of people and, and meet us and we all kind of uh carte blanche just threw whatever we had you know whatever we could contribute to the project and they put it together in a month uh with renpy which is a a very specific like format language that you make the game with um as part of i think it was like some kind of a competition or some kind of a challenge or yeah whatever game they jam had, or toe jam they had they had just a little over a month to make the whole game and so yeah, yeah. we all we all contributed in our own way and booberry made some really great art and um some really fantastic art that is uh, you can see in the show notes uh and then i i wrote music and i wrote um dialogue 
for the for the game myself. Yes, uh, I've got a link. It was uh, the the competition was called Nano Reno. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, check it out. Uh, there's a lot of cool motherfuckers involved with it. It's a very interesting process. Uh, one yeah. that uh, I never thought that I would be able to achieve, but hey, I I was. 11 years old at one point in my life wanting to make video games. Me too. It's a, it, w- it was an exciting and enticing project to be able to work on a video game. Although um, I definitely opened some, some new avenues for me. It got me into making music loops again and it got me working with my keyboard, which is always good. I always can use an excuse to get behind the keyboard and write some more music. I love doing that. Yeah. But, I have to say, writing music is not a simple or quick process. <laughs> <laughs> nor is, By any uh, means. Nor is trying to skit or like trace over photographs. God damn. No, the art you did is, is really fantastic. I think that you delivered a very high-quality product. And this is all contributed through just total volunteer, like, word-of-mouth stuff. I mean, I, I probably had one conversation with Abel Kirby. One twenty-minute conversation, and that's all. I, that's it. <laughs> the rest of it was just like, give what you got. <laughs> yeah, I even busted out the uh, SketchUp. They they did. Uh, I think I had the aspect ratio uh, incorrect for the burrito shop. So it's like the I think it's the one two or fourth photo. It looks down. like uh, yeah. It looks it looks kind of weird. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I misremembered something on my end, but I busted out a old fucking program from my college days called SketchUp. Did a, did a little bit of everything for it. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, uh, if anybody is ever interested in reaching out and uh, supporting public radio, you can find us at badradio.live or behindtheschemes.com, S-C-H-3-M-3-S. That's where we hang out. That's where we do cool and legal things. Very soon, we just acquired BehindTheSchemes.net without threes, just the actual Behind the Schemes. So that'll that'll soon be added to our list, along with uh, <laughs> Cheap Budget. BigBudget.Cheap. BigBudget.Cheap and BadRadio.Live. Um, yeah, I've got this weird thing. Like, you know, we've got our threes threes, but slowly but surely, I would like to acquire the non-three domains just so we have them. Yeah, you can give them to normal folks. I mean, I just want it so that when you type in behind the schemes without the threes, that we come up. Right. And not, you know. That means that other behind the schemes podcast lost their domain. That's what they were rocking with. Well, I I tried to look. Yeah, that's, we'll we'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun game to the domain game. You just, you get them while you can. You got to be patient. And then when they pop up, you get them. That's it. Mm-hmm. Simpo. Yes. Yeah. Thank well, you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks to all our producers yes. and, and all the boosters and everything. We appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, God bless all this money. Everyone donated lavishly. It's a boost cocky. Mm, boost cocky. Six one two two six three seven nine nine nine. You still got some time to get those screen mails in. Hey, boobs and lavish. This is uh, Dan here. 
giving you a whole and hearty go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Collar. Go fuck yourself, too. <laughs> yeah. Right back at you, Collar. Uh, Big job, Les. Film it. Film it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Post it. Post it. Do it. Do it. Yes. 612-263-7999. You got all night. You got all night. Pick up that phone. Dial us. Dial me. What you got? Did you know... Uh, what? Me? Yes. Uh, uh, did you know that, uh, that the Sahara is really fucking big? The desert in Africa? Yes, I've, I've heard this before. It's a big, sandy son of a bitch. It's huge. It's big and it's sandy and it's a son of a bitch. Uh, please play Sahara one. Oh, God. Covering multiple countries, it is the most gigantic desert globally, with miles and miles of dune formation. Altogether, the Sahara Desert covers 9 million square kilometers, meaning it will swallow Spain 18 times. However, did you know that this vast stretch of sterile sand, covering a third of the African continent, was covered in lush vegetation thousands of years ago? What happened to the Sahara and what is happening to it right now? In this video, we will look at the terrifying discoveries scientists have made under the Sahara Desert. The Atlantic Ocean borders the Sahara on the west, the Red Sea on the east, the Mediterranean Sea on the north, and the Sahel Savanna on the south. The enormous desert spans 11 countries – Algeria, Chad, Egypt, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Morocco, Niger, Western Sahara, Sudan, and Tunisia. The Sahara used to be a tropical area, so how did it become the harsh, arid region it is today? Uberry, how did it become the harsh, arid region it is today? Um, climate change. Final answer. Climate change? Climate change, Booberry? Come on. You got to be a little more specific than that. What mm. about climate? Was it, was, it uh, was it the gases or was it the sea levels? Was it the, the, was it the equinox? Was it the wobble, the tilt of the earth? Uh, dinosaur farts. Dinosaur farts? Uh, the scope of it, do you think they're talking about millions of years ago, or do you think they're talking about thousands of years ago? Ooh. Well, if it was thousands of years ago, I would still go with dino- dinosaur farts. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking birds. Okay. What? Bird farts. Bird That's farts. Right. That's right. No, you're wrong. We're oh, all wrong. We're fuck. not scientists, Booberry. Damn we it. didn't go out into the desert and go chat up some English guy. Hit him us with the answer, Sahara 2. The answer to this question takes us several thousand years back. The Sahara has long been subject to periodic bouts of humidity and aridity. These fluctuations are caused by slight wobbles in the tilt of the Earth's orbital axis, which in turn changes the angle at which solar radiation penetrates the atmosphere. Uh At repeated intervals throughout Earth's history, there's been more energy pouring in from the sun during the West African monsoon season. During those times, known as African humid periods, much more rain comes down over North Africa. With more rain, the region gets more greenery and rivers and lakes. But between 8,000 and 4,500 years ago, something strange happened. The transition from humid to dry occurred far more rapidly in some areas than could be explained by the orbital precession alone, resulting in the Sahara Desert as we know it today. In his study, archaeologist David Wright tells us what happened next. 
As he poured through the archaeological and environmental data obtained chiefly from sediment cores and pollen records, all dated to the same period, he noticed what seemed like a pattern. Where the archaeological record showed the presence of pastoralists, that is, humans with their domesticated animals, there was a corresponding change in the types and variety of plants. It was as if every time humans and their goats and cattle hopscotched across the grasslands, they had turned everything to scrub and desert in their wake. This led Wright to conclude that by overgrazing the grasses, they were reducing the amount of atmospheric moisture. You know plants give off moisture which produces clouds and enhanced albedo. He says this may have triggered the end of the humid period more abruptly than can be explained by the orbital changes. These nomadic humans also may have used fire as a land management tool, which would have exacerbated the speed at which the desert took hold. Fucking humans, man. Yeah, man, it's humans all the time. It's all so the Sahara Desert used to be this tropical, lush place. And then they, those damn humans came in with their goats, and then they walked around, and they ate everything and turned it into a 3 million square mile barren desert. Wow. That I, explains everything. This is, this is the <laughs> perfect ISO for this situation. Start creating ghosts out there, people. Kind of make this reality much more interesting. Yeah, this is much more fun. This is much more fun to think that this is like caused in the last thou- couple thousand years, so between four and eight thousand years ago. Is it, and then it took, and it was just that quick, boom, that all it, it went away. It was like turning a light switch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then they're like, but but by the way, it actually happened millions of years ago. Which is the, the kind of obvious thing you'd assume, right? Over the course of a long period of time, seems to me like the most basic, straightforward, and non-exciting answer of why northern Africa is as dry as it is compared to how lush it used to be is that the earth changes and the tilt changes and things move. And as he said, the sun penetrates the atmosphere differently. And, um, and the earth changes over millions of years. It doesn't stay the same. Um, but I guess it's because of people that, that happened. Uh, it happened in the last couple thousand years. But do you think maybe, Booberry, that in the last thousand years, do you think that it was so lush that there may have been like, you know, oceans, seas, rivers, things like that going through there? If it was as arid and shallow as they say, there, there could have been maybe some rivers going through there, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Something uh, like that. I think we've had uh, maybe. Uh, actually, I, I won't. I won't uh, express my thought immediately. Well, it seems that these guys that are out there in the Sahara, in the middle of the desert, three hundred miles away in this dry, arid desert, three hundred miles away from the sea, they seem to have made a very interesting discovery. If you'll play Sahara Three. Now, when you think of the Sahara Desert, do you imagine whales frolicking on the rolling sand dunes? While that is highly unlikely to happen since whales can't survive outside water, there is evidence that the ancestors of the modern whale once swam around right in the hot African desert. Rewind to 1902 when a team of geologists guided their camels into a valley in Egypt's western desert. Centuries of strong wind had sculpted sandstone rocks into strange shapes, and at night the moonlight was so bright, making the sand glow like gold. A nearby hill was known as the Mountain of Hell because of the infernal summer heat, but in this arid valley lay the bones of whales. 
Some of the skeletons were 50 feet long, with vertebrae as thick as campfire logs. They dated back 37 million years to an era when a shallow, tropical sea covered this area and all of northern Egypt. And although the geologists didn't realize it at the time, the prehistoric specimens in the sand would offer clues to one of evolution's most nagging questions, how whales became whales. Ooh. Now you've got my curiosity. <laughs> how whales became whales. Whale after whale. Did you mute yourself? Do I need to reset? Oh, sorry. I did mute myself. I needed to unmute my fucking tab. Whale after whale. So, uh, these guys, they I didn't really clip it, but they hypothesize that whales were really evolved from like deer and pigs that hung out by the coast. And uh, their main diet was whatever they could get out of the sea. And over millions of years, these pigs and deer or whatever, these, these, these ancient mammals, we don't even know what they look like, really, uh, evolved into whales now. And, the, and they get that from the fact that whales have certain bones, certain elements to their skeletal structure that imply uh, legs, that, that insinuate that there were legs at one point. Uh, in this evolutionary chain. But the main thing is, is that they're finding dozens upon dozens upon dozens of whale fossils out in the middle of the desert of the Sahara, uh, of, of a very particular, a place that has a, a fascination and interest to me in particular. I think that Africa is fascinating, and I think that the Sahara is fascinating. And I think that if you divide Africa really into two major parts, if you were to divide it, it's Saharan and Sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, that's that's how you describe it. Um, and as he says, below that area, the southern part of Africa is relatively lush and green. Um, the center of it is too lush and green. It's borderline inhospitable. Uh, but at one point millions of years ago, all of northern Africa, which is now a barren desert, was actually an extremely lush area that was probably filled with seas and lakes and rivers and all kinds of massive bodies of water that was able to sustain life of an entire race of whales. And they're finding it so far from the sea. The reason why this interests me, and this guy brings it up, and we've brought it up before, is there's a very interesting geographical feature within this Sahara which we've talked about, called the Eye of the Sahara. It's also known as the Richaud structure. Uh, it's in Mauritania, in West Africa. It's about 200 miles inland from the Atlantic Ocean, and it's about, I would say, four or 500 miles south of the Strait of, Gibral of Gibraltar, which is the, the mouth of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. And... Uh, yeah, we'll just play the clip and see how they, they bring this into it. We'll do uh, Sahara 4. Now, you've heard about the lost city of Atlantis. You'll be shocked by how this famed city is connected to the next discovery in the Sahara Desert. This takes us to the Eye of the Sahara, also known as the Rishat structure or the Gwelb Rishat. It is a geological formation in the Sahara Desert that resembles an enormous bullseye. 
The formation stretches across a 40-kilometer-wide region of the desert in Mauritania. For centuries, only a few local nomadic tribes knew about the formation. It was first photographed in the 1960s by the Gemini astronauts, who used it as a landmark to track the progress of their landing sequences. Later, the Landsat satellite took additional images and provided information about the formation's size, height, and extent. Geologists initially believed that the Eye of the Sahara was an impact crater created when an object from space slammed into the surface. However, lengthy studies of the rocks inside the structure show that its origins are entirely Earth-based, prompting geologists to look for further explanations. Ooh. Entirely Earth-based. And you'll see, you'll mention, he mentioned earlier, they talk about rock formations that have been smoothed out over time by sandstorms and things like that. And in the Sahara, there's all kinds of these geographical formations that can be tested to that. But this in particular, I posted in the chat just now, is this massive structure, this massive geological dome that looks like a crater, but when you look at it, it looks a little more unnatural than that. It looks like it's something that's informed or or built or it looks very intentful <clears throat> it's very intentful and it looks very structurally aesthetically pleasing um i mean this is a massive massive piece of land you're talking about like I don't know, look at all, f- look at all that feminine er- energy swirling around I mean, it's I fucking know, right? rings man it's rings and rings this totally ties into the high priestess for sure and it has the high priestess energy but uh, one of my favorite theories about this is that this might be one of the locations of the famed city of Atlantis. Uh, Atlantis itself kind of is, can be a metaphor for a couple of things, as it is given by the originator of the of the legend, which is Plato. Plato, in his uh, in his dialogues with Socrates, the, the Socratic dialogues, which is one of the foundational texts of all of Western knowledge and philosophy are the writings of Plato. And everything that we know about Socrates is through Plato. Socrates never wrote anything himself. Um, So Plato wrote these books. He's very lengthy, very kind of tough to read books now. Uh, That basically just has like a, it's almost like a play. It's like, you know, Treatises and Creatus walk in and say to Socrates, you know, hello, and Socrates says this, and it's just dialogue. It's a conversation between philosophers. And uh, the way that Atlantis was originally brought up was it was a dialogue between three men and Socrates, and two of these men bring up Atlantis. And I'm only going to talk about one. And the main source that we have is, his name is Critias, or Critias, Uh this text is dated to around 360 BC. And again, it was written by Plato, but it's meant to represent a dialogue between Critias and Socrates. Uh, Socrates asks him what the ideal state would be. And that's kind of what they're talking about. And Critias is the one who relays to him the story of Atlantis, which he heard from Solon. Solon is one of the great sages of, of Greece, of ancient Greece. Uh, I'm going to just read one little excerpt here real quick, straight from the text. Critias says to Socrates, Let me begin by observing first that 9,000 years ago was the sum which has elapsed since the war, which was said to have taken place, between those who dwelt outside of the pillars of Heracles 
which is the Strait of Gibraltar, and all who dwelt within them. This war I'm going to describe. Of the combatants on one side, the city of Athens, and on the other side, commanded by the kings of Atlantis, which, as was saying, was an island great in extent, and afterwards suck, sunk by an earthquake, and became an, an impassable barrier of mud to voyagers sailing from hence to any part of the ocean. So this is how he begins. This is how the story of Atlantis is related at all. It's, it's talked about a war that happens 9,000 years before 360 B.C. And it was fought between Atlantis and Greece. And as he says, it's right outside Gibraltar. And when it collapsed, when it went under, or when the ice caps melted and the waters raised, or whatever happened, that place was flooded in and the whole area was turned into a muddy mess. Uh, and then he gets into some really fun stuff, uh, some of the old Greek stuff, which it sounds a lot like aliens. Ooh. In the days of old, the gods had the whole earth distributed among them by allotment. There was no quarreling, for you could not rightly suppose that the gods did not know what was proper for each of them to have, or knowing this, that they would seek to procure for themselves by contention that which more properly belonged to others. They, all of them, by just apportionment, obtained what they wanted and peopled their own districts. And when they had people, they tended us, their nurslings and their possessions, as shepherds tend their flocks, accepting that they did not use blows or bodily force as shepherds do, but they governed us like pilots from the stern of the vessel, which is an easy way of guiding animals, holding our souls by the rudder of persuasion, according to their own pleasure. Thus did they guide all mortal creatures. So this is the way that he describes the gods. And he says that Hephaestus and Athena were the ones who were given the domain of Athens, and that Poseidon was given Atlantis. He says, Poseidon, receiving this lot, the island of Atlantis, begat children by a mortal woman. So they go into this whole begat Thing. If you ever read the Old Testament, there's a lot of begats, which is such and such had this child, and then they married this person, and they had this child, and then they married this person. They just, so it's a family tree type of thing. But essentially, the story goes that Poseidon had children with mortal woman, settled the island, and then from there had sons and gave all of them different allotments of Atlantis and raised up certain parts of it and and made springs and things like that. Yeah, he, he fathered the ruling class of Atlantis. Yeah, and all of the kings of Atlantis were claimed to have descended from from uh, Poseidon just as the people of Athens legitimately thought that their peoples and their and their society had sprung up from the the children of Athena, the goddess Athena. Uh, a long time ago. And the way that they describe it is fun, because they, they talk, he says something about names versus actions. He says, we have recorded the names of these great gods, but we can't record their actions, because it happened so long ago that we just don't know. Which is a fun thing for them to say, 360 BC. Um, but there's a, there's a pattern that goes, and this shows itself in Mayan culture, and in all other, in all kinds of ancient cultures, that there was something much greater and much vaster that was around before the ancients, and that the ancients were only scraping by and trying to 
They were survivors of something. Um, another interesting, because we brought up the Anchor Watt, I was thinking about the Anchor Watt actually would be a fun candidate, I think, for Atlantis. Because the way they describe Atlantis, it's, it's, a, it's a, all these channels and great waterways that no human being could ever create, but there it was. And it was this fantastically architectured city of, of rivers and, and these massive farming plains and just utter complete dominance of the landscape and, and wealth beyond imagining that had been there for millennia before the Greeks had ever seen anything like it. Yeah, and these three huge concentric rings that made up the city with the yep. bronze wall and the silver wall and the gold wall. All or very, or Chalcum, yeah. All very alchemical in nature. Exactly. <clears throat> yep. And and still reflective of, of that knowledge then when bronze tin and orchalcum were the and gold were the great um the great ores of that time. Yeah. Um but they also say that in Atlantis he says there this is from Critus. Moreover, there were a great number of elephants. There were all kinds of animals, lakes and marshes and rivers and mountains and in plains. There was animals of of every size, even the largest and most voracious. So that again points to Africa <laughs> to me. Um, there's another excerpt here, one more. First of all, they bridged over the zones of sea which surrounded the ancient metropolis, making a road to and from the royal palace. And at the beginning, they built the palace in the, in the habitation of the god and of their ancestors, which they continued to ornament in successive generations each king surpassing the one who went before him to the utmost of his power until they made a building of marvel to behold their size and beauty. Um, the did, whole country was lofty, precipitous. Did you say marble or marvel? M- marvel. Marvel. It was a marvel. Gotcha. Uh, and they talk about this plane. Let's see here. This plane is interesting. They say that because it, it was all waterways and it was these three rings and they were all connected with water. But they also say that around the city itself, there was not water. It, it didn't empty out into a sea. It, it, was, it was plains, and it was actually level ground. And that is where they had all their agriculture and all of, their, all of the working people were out there doing their thing. And if you look at this picture of the eye of the Sahara, that's what you kind of see, is you see... Given that this were full of water, and given that this were, you know, we're talking really, if not thousands, maybe even millions of years ago, uh, I hesitate to say, but human beings have been around for a very long time, much longer than they give credit to. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think the Atlanteans probably picked up the broken pieces of a, a, a collapsed human society before them. And then oh, that society yeah. begot another society, which begot another society, and which begot yeah. aliens. And then you have the the factor which uh, Randall always brings in, which is that every twelve thousand years, thirteen thousand years, there's an ELE, there's an extinction level event. Yep. So every thirteen thousand years, the human clock gets set back to square one. Yeah. Or whoever just, survives it. We just ended up in the. Bullshit timeline with Mark Zucker, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That guy's not building Atlantis, I'll tell you that. But um, the whales, 
who got me into this. Uh, just the 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 reconfirmation that we are operating on a time so small, and that when they talk about whales being buried out in the desert sixty five hundred million years ago, and then they talk about how we really only changed things in the last four thousand years, you can see the lapse in logic, and you can see where the agenda comes into play. Yeah, and and where there's kind of a willful ignorance of kind of the elephant in the room, which is that we're talking about much older time periods than, than we not really than we're comfortable a, with. Not really a fan of revisionist history, and that's kind of what this is. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a historian or anything. No, no, I'm just a fucking guy on the internet with a microphone. He's wearing a mask of my face, and he's forcing me to record. Offensive hate speech. Offensive hate speech. Offensive hate speech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I think I had one left. Uh, Sarah 5. Instead, he proposes the Eye of the Sahara is the mythical city's actual location. Solon, a statesman from ancient Greece, is the man who is thought to have passed on information regarding Atlantis to Plato. Jimmy says it is not only the exact size and shape Plato said it was, 23.5 kilometers across and circular, but mountains he described to the north can be seen quite clearly on satellite imagery as evidence of ancient rivers which Plato said flowed around the city. Plato said Atlantis was destroyed in a single day and night of misfortune and sank beneath the waves. The scientific record shows the Earth underwent significant climate upheaval around 11,500 years ago when Atlantis is alleged to have disappeared. Okay, mm-hmm. so I will go out on a limb and say that it was the arrogance of the Atlanteans that led to their eventual downfall. Allegedly. Legend has it. In Minecraft. It was that's, their your, own... that's your hypothesis? Yes. And um, it's not mine. I, I've read it. I've I've stumbled across it, as they say. Sure, sure. Um, but yes, it was the just thinking that the Atlanteans were so in tune with how the universe worked that it kind of backfired onto. They got a little too close to the sun. They got that flight of Icarus syndrome. Sure, and they sure. got burned and um. I mean, it's the it's the same sort of concept as uh, the wrathful God of the Old Testament. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I really fucked up. I might need to do a uh, great reset. Oh, a great reset, yes. Yeah. Build back better. Let me just turn on the faucet. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I left it running. <laughs> and over the case, you know, over the case, that's, that's what happens. Yeah, but yeah I, I mean, that was like. The the Tower of Babel, allegedly, legend has it, was built before the Great Flood, right? That's you know? yes, according to the, yeah. yes, according that, to the that, Bible. That was a that was a time the guy came down. He's like, "Yo, what the fuck? What is this? No!" And he had to banish everybody to the far corners of the land, jumble up all of their languages so they couldn't communicate no more. And that's that's essentially what. Plato says about this, he has a quote, see if I can find it, but he he basically says that all of the civilizations of the world that exist today are just the remnants of the barbarians that survived from this conflict that he's talking about. 
Yeah. Those war. are the people that got to high ground hella fast. I personally, I mean, for, for a fact, we know that both the Tower of Babel and Atlantis, from Plato's point of view, serve a purpose in explaining. They, they serve a, as a metaphor for society in general. Yes. They're meant to represent humanity and, and the cycles that it goes through. And you, you have this tumult and then you build this great civilization and then you get arrogant and then the civilization collapses. It's the tower card. It's the fucking twin towers. Yeah. Another portal. It's uh, it, it's meant to tell that story, and it's pretty understood that Plato really ran with it and 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 did and gave it the same treatment that the Bible gives the Tower of Babel, which could have very well be, been based on a real structure that collapsed in an earthquake, and then you have this sort of spiritual meaning that you throw on top of it. Um, but with this, I'd really like to believe that there was a city at one point that was really cool that was. Rem, uh, remained left over from something else. And then if it were this eye in the Sahara, that over time, that part of the world just got drier and drier and drier. And uh, what was, you know, a great city of waterways and all these plains and stuff became a mud hole. And that led to this war between them and the people of the Mediterranean. Because the Mediterranean at that time probably was much colder, and then over this period of time that we're talking about, it became, you know, what it is now, which is one of the most ideal environments that anyone could possibly live in, you know, um, especially with Italy. I mean, I think that Rome became the great city because it's just, it's just perfect weather and it's perfect conditions for civilization. And it's as simple as that. And you see that in the history throughout. And we were talking earlier about Roanoke, and and about where the permanent settlements are that are now in a, in northern carolina if you look at where they settled there and then you look at where the big cities are now they're miles miles apart and there's a reason why people choose to live where they live and uh i just think that, yeah there was there was at some point in ancient history where northern africa was what the mediterranean is today and then as the tilt you know, as the procession of the equinox happened or whatever happened, uh, the plates moved over time. That changed into what it is now. And then it's going to change again. How much time do we got left? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're out of time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just yeah, that's that's all I really have to say on it. It's just interesting to me. I love this stuff. Do we do we drop? We're back. We're back. Yeah, we're back. It was just a momentary lapse. Yeah. Uh, I I'm fascinated with Atlantis. I'm fascinated with ancient texts. I'm fascinated with. I was reading. Um, I got through some of the Jacob Abbott biographies. I got through Genghis Khan. I got through Caesar. And then I started reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. I don't know if you've ever heard of those or mm -hmm. read them. I'm not familiar with the author either. Marcus Aurelius was the last of the five good emperors of Rome, as they say. Um, from the period of Augustus Caesar uh, over a period of about 200 years or so, leading up to Marcus Aurelius, you have the five 
the five good emperors, as they're called in retrospect, and they represent the the pinnacle of achievement of the Roman Empire from its actual empirical beginnings with Julius Caesar changing from a republic to an empire, uh, and then having emperors. They had some really good ones, and they did a lot of great stuff. And then Marcus Aurelius's son, Commodus, was the first one that is claimed to have fucked everything up, and he's actually the bad guy in the movie Gladiator. Oh. You ever seen Gladiator with, with Russell Crowe? That movie is based, it's kind of based on the events of the time. It's it's a fictional story. Um, but the emperor at the beginning of the movie, the old man, that's Marcus Aurelius. And he is credited with being the founder of Stoicism. He is the original Stoic. <laughs> and he wrote this series of books. There's like 12 stories uh, called The Meditations. And they're really just like, a little like they they were written i think as as reminders to himself he, he didn't mean to publish them or anything it was just stories of lessons that he had learned in life and um and just general knowledge about the world and about humanity that he wanted to write down that would help him be an emperor of this great great empire and he and he reigned for a very long time and he did a really good job and uh, and his writings exist today. And I was I was going through them. I started reading them about a week ago, two weeks ago. And just this morning, who other than the the podcast Elvis himself, uh, Joe Rogan, he he dropped it today. He's like, I am reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, and I think it's fantastic. Hmm. And I was like, that's very odd. <laughs> That I read the book, and then Joe Rogan started reading the book. Maybe, maybe there's something. Maybe it was pushed somewhere or something. There was a there was another minor synchronicity I wanted to tell you about. Hmm. The last time we discussed Atlantis was episode fifty two, Old World Order, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. interestingly enough, that was the first time I ever released an episode with a GIF as the show art. Ah. Small world. What do you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you know? Oh, oh wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, Turn it on. Lavish is being followed by CIA bot. You're absolutely right. Dude. And proud of it. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> you just gotta embrace that shit, man. I don't embrace anything. <laughs> I fight everything all the time. You wanna, you wanna fight a voicemail? No. Oh, 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 oh. But you do. Oh, the best strap on we've added. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Is that our? Where's our scream? Oh no! Is that it? No, that wasn't it. Where is it? Something is sucking something. Who's sucking what down here? I'm going to need the two strongest guys to come up here and take their shirts off. Oh, wow. Something is sucking something. (laughs) Sounds expensive, caller. Yeah. See if you can't uh, get a receipt for that. 
Canada's a business <laughs> expenditure. My advice, go out to more bars. You might find what you're looking for. Yes. You go may. to the big city. Yeah. <laughs> go to St. Paul. Go to the clubs. Get your the clubs on. <laughs> oh, Bully Steed, Art of War. I, I, I just read through the Art of War, too, and I happen to have a really good website to recommend for Art of War. Have you ever read the Art of War, by the way, Booberry? I've uh, bits and pieces, but not through the whole thing. Uh, so fucking good. I read it all the time. It's so fucking good. I have this uh, changingminds.com, disciplines, warfare, art, warfare, whatever, annotated Art of War. So it not only does it have the art of war, but it has um it has like commentary on it on the side too. Oh. Ah, yeah. All that stuff. Uh I got an old copy five of rings. It. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. You should always have art of war is so important in understanding what China is doing right now. They're just so smart. And how they wage their war. And Russia does the same thing. And we just have no fucking clue. But they're just so good at like subterfuge and and at dealing with an enemy that is overwhelming or is stronger than them. Sun Tzu is like half of it is about, most of it really is about dealing with a a force that is equal or greater than you. Oh, (laughs) you mean like, you mean like, is this mic on? I guess. Anyway. Oh, God. The king of the free world. Yes. Yeah, Art of War is a free download. So is all these uh, things I talked about. The Jacob Abbott biographies and Marcus Aurelius' meditations are all free. You can find them on anywhere. They have LibriVox recordings of them. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I want to say the copy that I got, I think, is from the 70s. I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and then I found, funny enough, uh, that was the second, co- I got two copies of it. The other one's a hardback. It's got uh, commentary in the in the liner notes. But the reason it caught my attention is someone signed the book and it looks like they wrote to my dead name. It's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if it says my old name, but it looks a whole hell of a lot like it. Well, someone must have uh, thought you needed that book, you know. Yeah. You give it a whirl. It's not too long a read. It's fascinating. Maybe we could uh, turn it into a reoccurring segment for a little bit. That could be cool. That could be cool. We can go over the six types of terrain and the nine types of ground. Oh, that's 69. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You got it. That's right. What are the six types of terrain? We can We can quiz people on it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get uh, in contact with Sir Sir Seat Sitter, get some of that game show music sent over. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Incredible. Super sudden death. Final results. Five. Four. Yeah. Uh, there's no other scream mails that have rolled in tonight. Uh, well, if you would like to call us during the week when we're not live, you can call 612-263-7999. And we appreciate all the calls that we did get tonight. They were fantastic. Wasn't a bad one in the bunch. 
Mm-mm. No, we appreciate everybody's patience uh, in the time that it took to get to those. We really dig that. The uh, the show that you're listening to now is live every Monday on the No Agenda stream, on the Scaly Show stream at BehindTheSchemes.com, and on CurioCaster. Mm-hmm. We're actually available on virtually everything. Uh, yes. There really isn't much that we aren't available on, so you can find us. Every Monday night we are live at 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern, every single Monday. And uh, next Monday, we're going to be having episode 92. Yeah, we're getting up in there in numbers, baby. That's right. Won't be long until we're at a hundred, hundred stack. That stack of Benjamins. Well, I guess one Benjamin. Well, I got one Benjamin. I've never seen a, a woman as beautiful as a hundred dollar bill. You ever held a, a, a brand, what is it, a brand new one? Brand new... <laughs> Nothing excites me like new money, brand new money. I'd rather have a new one dollar bill than an old twenty. Well, that's kind of dumb. Isn't it? Just thinking about the way it feels in your hands. The other guy goes, "Oh yeah, I love new money. Oh, oh." <laughs> Mofax, check him out. Mofax.com. Well, that was a lovely evening. Thanks for sharing it with us, everybody. Yes, we appreciate it. Come play with us at badradio.live. Get yourself a real good time coming to you. Mm-hmm. I really like this track. Ah, it's, it's too cool. It's too cool. I, I can't I can't hang anymore. I've been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And I've been lavish. See you guys next time. This show is behind the shem shemas the schemes. Behind the schemes with threes as E's. And this is where knowledge comes to die. Like it's rock and roll, man. What happened to you? (laughs) Come on, we got a show in Philly. Get on the bus. We got some coke to do. People know I'm a rock and roller. This is a theater show. Theater of the mind, yeah. What? That's crazy! Aww. Aww. What is BTS? Okay, let's do some math. I gotta pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. Claims so baseless, we're mistaken as injustice for all.